you are free to call in and talk live here on the airwaves. It is Mark with you. And Wes. The number to call in, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE, as in freedom. And we're coming to you live from the U.S. Mariana Islands. Wes, you've been here for going on a week now. It's been about a week. I actually left this morning at 5.40 a.m. to fly to Hong Kong, but my flight was canceled. That darn contravirus and, the, and yeah. the CIA operatives that put it in play. Indeed. Or and whatever. Not that there's coronavirus here in Saipan, no, but rather here. this Hong Kong Express Airlines canceled flights out of Hong Kong and therefore really no planes returning back there. Right. Basically, the situation is, is that the vast majority of people who take Hong Kong Express from Hong Kong to Saipan are Chinese nationals. Yes. Who... Um, you know, they're trying to take a vacation and now they can't because the government has said, uh, 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 and I can understand. I, I get where it's coming from. I'm not the biggest fan of these lockdowns. And I think we need to talk about how dangerous this stuff is, uh, the, the government's going and, and doing lockdowns. And I've yes. got a couple of stories here about, uh, what's happening, but at the same time, I kind of feel like if you're going to have a state, that this seems like one of the things that they're probably going to do and should do. So if there was a worldwide pandemic, and there's not, right? Like, the, mm. so far the contravirus isn't any more impressive really than the flu. Although there are lots of conspiracy theories about it being a bioterrorism weapon that was accidentally right. unleashed out of Wuhan. I'm going to leave that to the side as much fun as it is to look at uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah. I, um, I've seen no real evidence that it's uh, you know, been released by a governmental agency. I have no clue. We know for sure that the Chinese government is great at lying. They lie to their people every single day, you know, state-run press. So maybe they're underplaying the numbers of people that are infected. Or people have died that apparently upwards of 500 people have died in China. One person died in Hong Kong, 39-year-old. Yeah. There could the be, um, you know, more cases. But mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the limitations of doing a show like what we do here is that we kind of have to take the news as fact. And I'm willing to, to look at – I'm willing to question. I'm willing to, to ask questions. But right now what I got is I, I got what the Chinese government has said. Yes, and kind of been corroborated by various scientists, researchers in America, as well as people in Hong Kong as well. There's been kind of controversy about China not or Hong Kong not being so forceful in stopping people coming in from China to Hong Kong. It was during the Chinese New Year, right? And this can last up to a couple of weeks, basically. But right, the uh, the New Year's their big holiday, and it's like they take China, China's kind of interesting in that they take sort of all their holidays at once, mm. which is good, right? You can go back, you can see the family, because a lot of times, if you live far away, what are you doing in the United States? Are you going to go back for Thanksgiving? Are you going to go back for Christmas? Uh, some families do big Easter celebrations. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always uh, Independence Day, 4th of July. Uh, you know, the, there's things that, that go on throughout the year, whereas, um, and you have to make a decision. Do I want to go back and see mom and dad for this holiday, this holiday, or this holiday? Well, when it comes to the Chinese New Year, you don't have to make a decision because that's the one you go. Yeah, you are going. And I've read where uh, Wuhan is a city of about 10 to 12 million people, and they say about half of them actually went home or various places 
during the Chinese New Year. Right. And a lot of these folks, the main concern is that they didn't kind of look at their potential for risk, right, to see if they're infected first before they end up, you know, maybe infecting other people. And that's been a criticism of the Chinese culture, essentially. You know, uh, well, maybe. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. So when I was going to school, my parents, uh, you know, I was sort of raised by that waspy Calvinist, uh, you know, strain of, of Christianity. And I was taught, it, in, unless, unless you're dying, you go to school. You know, the sniffles, oh, that's nothing. Get, get, get your bus, butt on the bus. Yeah. And uh, I would not run things. As a matter of fact, my son has been uh, recently home from school because he's been ill, coughing and, and those sorts of things. And I don't want to send my kid uh, off to school to, you know, infect other people's children. And, and I'm sure they appreciate that. the place that it happens at schools. You know, right. kids are grabbing every little thing and... Dirty know, little primates. Putting on their mouths, their eyes, and so forth. And what's an interesting difference in, in Asia, if anyone's visited Asia, you'll notice a lot of people wear masks. And you're thinking, well, is that because they're afraid of other people's diseases or is it trying to contain their own? And it seems like the general idea is to prevent yourself from transmitting whatever you have. If you cough or you sneeze, you've got a mask on, which seems pretty sensible in a time where there's influenza and various strains of coronavirus going around. Well, I spoke to a lady in Hong Kong and I showed her my new fabric mask that I had just gotten for a dollar. Okay. I was very, very proud of my acquisition. They fit differently. They kind of have this real sort of... uh, you know, like uh, revolutionary vibe to them. I, I dig them. Mm. And I'll show it to you here in a, in a few. But it, it form fits over the mouth as opposed to sort of looking like one of these hospital things. It's, you know, very clinical looking and yeah. not, not cool at all. Um, they do come in colors over here in Asia, but in the United States it would only, only be white. Uh-huh. Here, uh, so I showed it to her and she's like, well, this wouldn't provide any protection though. So she was definitely concerned with protection too. Interesting. Was she thinking that there wasn't enough layers? I don't know of what the... she thought. Um, okay. I didn't, uh... Because there are more thinner, I guess, ones that aren't as recommended, but the ones that have two or three layers for comfort and protection, it's not a respirator. I mean, a respirator is really the only way to prevent those transmission of right. you know, outward and inward coming in. I mean, it's certainly good to have a, something that covers your mouth if you cough. Right? Yeah. Like an auto, auto-covered mouth, you know, and... We went also, since I was a kid, we went from, you know, cover your mouth with your hands when you cough mm. or sneeze to cover your mouth with like your arm and sleeve <laughs> and stuff. Because you're going to touch things with your hands and right. other people are going to touch those things. Yeah. And I think that makes perfectly good sense. But I'm just saying things in the 1980s, I mean, early 1980s, because I, I got perfect attendance probably well, more times in school than I didn't. Mm-hmm. And you can be certain in that nine month period that I got sick mm. and I was given sickness by other people. And, um, you know, maybe it's because my mom had to get to work. You know, I don't know what um, what it's like for every family out there. I don't know how they're all dealing with it. But today in my life, if my son's ill, he stays home. Yeah. And. I'm not worried about him missing anything at school. School's not, you know, it isn't this breakneck speed thing um, that's, uh, you know, so important that he gets to go see. He can, you know, stay at home, play with some of his games. Uh, he's got, you know, they, they were playing this uh, geography flag game. I know that uh, Laura and Jack were um, earlier today. And, well, that's good. Yeah, enriching. He's, he's getting, right, he's getting some uh, education in the process. So, uh, you know. I, I think things have changed, and maybe uh, China's just got some different, you know, cultural rules than what we've moved into. 
Mm-hmm. But this kind of bothered me when I saw this. So from the dailystar.co.uk, China deploys dr- thermal drones to scan villagers for coronavirus from the sky. Interesting, because they've been scanning at airports, apparently, like checking your body temperature, yeah. infrared scanners. And if you're over a certain amount, you know, most people that come in with the virus in hospitals, they're running a fever of like 102 degrees. So pretty high up there. Now, is this a technical technological innovation that is going to be a benefit to you know society as a whole? Or is this a new government intrusion that is disturbing? I don't I mean, again, like I say, if I was going to make a case for a state preventing worldwide pandemics would be the case that I would make. Now, I don't think that it's worth having this antiquated, top-down, hierarchical, uh, you know, organizational model for this one thing, because so far we haven't needed it. Uh, there hasn't been a worldwide pandemic in, well, not in my lifetime. I think the closest thing is like yellow fever, uh, 1912-ish, and... Not much, you know, around World War One, there was a influenza thing that, that sort of happened. That might be the same thing. Anyway, um, it, uh, I mean, you know, that's the closest thing. And we, we've had vaccines in between. A lot of jumps forward and sanitation and all that stuff has occurred in between. Yes. So I don't even know if a pandemic is going to occur. But every time you step outside, ladies and gentlemen, you're taking your life into your own hands. From the U.S. Mariana Islands, this live edition. It's Mark with you. And Wes. And it is live. You can call in and talk about whatever's on your mind here on this edition. Is All you have to do is call 855-450-3733. 855-450-FREE. And... We'll take your call and talk about whatever you want to talk about. Right now, we're talking about the coronavirus to some extent. And one of my uh, thoughts on this is that you got to watch government at every turn. Absolutely. Because people with monopoly power uh, are rarely known in human history to moderate the use of that power. They almost always overstep. And... This is an area where, you know, we were talking about life or death. Mm-hmm. I mean, do we want a bunch of infected people traveling all over the world? Absolutely not. I'd say no. And, no. Um, so, you know, the deployment of a little force does not surprise me and I guess does not break my heart. You know, hey, you know, we're shutting down these uh, airline routes and, you know, these kind of things. What but, are the opportunity costs, of course? Like when we look at China, what they're doing to people there, I mean, really draconian measures. And I think it's largely because the population there has been deeply traumatized by the constant lying of their government um, that everyone's kind of aware of. I mean, they have VPNs. They can access the outside world, of course, unlike, you know, some people in North Korea. But I asked the Hong Kongers there, like, when do you think, uh, which which country is going to be free first, China or North Korea? (laughs) <laughs> they always kind of laugh about that because they it's an interesting question. Isn't it is it? an interesting question. Yeah. Like one population has been 
controlled under authoritarian dictatorship for what decades, right? right? And completely impoverished and mistreated and murdered and so forth. But on the other hand, China has done a lot of those same things. And yet they've had this this culture of progress, material progress, yep. right? All building the equivalent of a New York City every year. You know, it's just crazy amounts of building. I was in Shenzhen two years ago, and it's amazing. The office buildings, a lot of them are empty. Interesting. Leave Interesting. it to government central planners, right, to figure right. out what's best going to be good for occupancy and, you know, renting things out and leasing things. Yeah, I don't know exactly how the Chinese ownership thing works. So private investig- investors sort of own things and sort of don't own things. And you're going to be monitored by the government. Oh, there's a lot of that. And oh, you're yes. ri- absolutely right that the you know Chinese government, and frankly, I mean, this is what states are known for, is, is uh, obfuscating the truth, right? Indeed. They lie. And giving you a perceived sense of legitimacy of what they're doing and who they are. You know, like you were saying before, any criminal, criminal gang is a real threat to people in society. But when that gang actually has a flag and they're seen as your protectors and providers, well, that makes you vulnerable to a lot of intrusions and rights violations, right? Sure. You're, you're told to trust and everybody else seems to trust. There's a sort of societal level trust of, you know, whoever these people are that are claiming these, these monopoly privileges over you. What's going on in China right now is, is that they're using unmanned aerial vehicles, which are equipped with thermal imaging technology, to read body temperatures, it says in the sky, which I would have somehow change the way that uh was put together the bodies aren't yeah. in the sky no. <laughs> maybe the, playing uh, in the backyard or something the drones are but but you know, if you're walking down the street they can uh, scan you and tell what your body temp is if you're walking around with 101 degree temperature you know you're you're targeted in some way yeah uh, the word orwellian comes to mind with this What's right this? orwellian oh you know? yeah yeah it, 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 that's part of this and again i is this a technological advancement in the treating of a worldwide potential worldwide pandemic, or is this a government overreach? Mm-hmm. And if it was only used to get treatment to people who um, you know, needed it and didn't know or caught them a little sooner or whatever and they couldn't spread it, okay, I guess I can live with that. But if it's like, okay – off to the uh, inpatient, locked-up ward with you, then that's going to feel a lot less free. Yeah, and government really isn't accountable to customers, right? There's really a captured customer base that you're operating from. They pretend to provide services, but it's in this vague realm of you know rights protection, but obviously it's not really that in China. I mean, China's got a lot of contradictions, and I think the Hong Kongers notice those contradictions being really stark when China's breathing down their neck about their rights in Hong Kong under basic law from the Brit- the Brits. Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong by and large seems to want some level of autonomy from China. Mm. I mean, they're Chinese ethnically in many cases, um, the vast majority of Hong Kongers, but they, uh, they've grown up in a, under a completely different system, and they're different folks. It's a different culture, for it's a sure. Different culture. Yeah, they want freedom and, and at least bare minimum free speech, free press, being represented by people that uh, they can vote for. And, and that I think kind of that thing. everybody wants freedom to some extent for themselves. And what they don't realize often is, is in order to get freedom for yourself, you need to have you advocate for freedom for other people. And that's mm-hmm. the purpose of me reading this article here is that, I, look, 
how, does it benefit me or not if people um, half a world away, China is not half a world away from me, but it is from most of my listeners, yeah. um, are you know, subjugated to you know, some intrusion on their lives to prevent the spread of this global pandemic? And I'd say the answer is no. You know, hey, subjugate them. Make sure that that stuff doesn't spread and, uh, you know, keep them down is the way that I would be looking after my own self-interest. That'd be a non-benevolent dictator. Right. Yeah. However, what I realize is, is that if it's okay for the Chinese government to do this to their people, then it's okay for my government to do this to me. Mm. And I just want to know from Americans, 855-450-3733. Whether you would think it was okay if the United States government was flying drones around. I hear they have them yeah. um, with thermal imaging technology. I'm pretty sure that we have that. Um, and deciding who's sick and who's not and uh, intercepting them in their daily life. Because it's not that at this point we have it, right? We have this technology. The government would be able to sync up with your cell phone, uh, triangulate from a cell tower. Uh, oh, yeah. They have ways to monitor for sure. Closed circuit televisions, uh, cameras that they have on street corners and stuff to determine, okay, who's that sick person? Let's go get them. Yeah. And then, and then once they come and, and chit-chat with you, what happens? Well, I don't want your vaccines. Personally, uh, I'm not against people taking vaccines, but I, I have taken the flu vaccine a couple of times and become quite ill from it. So I am pretty certain that I am sick. Uh, I get sick from the flu vaccine. Now, I may not be able to convince a medical uh, personnel uh, type person that that is the case. And I am not interested in uh, you know, dealing with a situation where they tell me you're getting this shot. Yeah, that's the nature of authoritarian power. Basically, we have this conflict in America about the the rhetoric of freedom and how does that comport with an organization that really spends a lot of time trying to take away those freedoms and has potentially Orwellian issues going on with the NSA surveillance and all that. So are we uh, are we blowing this up too big? I mean, is it is this something that China should be doing and needs to be doing? Do I have it wrong? The number is 855-450-3733. 855-450-FREE as in Free Talk Live. The next generation wallet is coming from Divi. In just a few taps, you'll be able to send, earn, spend, and exchange digital money in seconds. Send money around the globe with only a swipe. Instantly exchange between Divi, Bitcoin, and Fiat right in the mobile app and withdraw directly to your bank account. Divi already offers the first one-tap solution for earning passive income with crypto. Multi-tiered masternodes allow everyone to partake in the network. Visit DiviProject.org. DiviProject.org. Talk live. Call in. Talk about whatever's on your mind. It's Mark with you. And Wes. Call him, or excuse me, uh, doing a live show here from the U.S. Mariana Islands. And you're still going to sound great. Now, you could go to the Discord rooms at discord.freetalklive.com. Uh, there's a little bit of a sign-up process, but once you do, it's even easier to call in, and then you sound awesome. Now, we're one of the only shows out there that allow you to do that. And it's, you know, Free Talk Live's commitment to using technology to improve talk radio. And, well, 
uh, you're welcome to do that. So it's discord.freetalklive.com. I want to tell you, speaking about a, using technology to improve people's lives, bitcoin.com is the, uh, the forefront. This is the place, if you're interested in cryptocurrency, this is the place to go. This is to start your journey. They will... First, they've got some great instructional videos, and you'll find out all about what is cryptocurrency, what is Bitcoin, what is Bitcoin Cash, and all these things. Secondly, they'll allow you to get a wallet. They'll allow you to get some, uh, purchase some Bitcoin Cash to put in the wallet. They make it easy for you. They have one of the most robust news organizations within the cryptocurrency sphere, and I am happy to often uh, get a chance to read their articles here on the air and, and certainly read them uh, regularly myself. So it's Bitcoin.com. They, by the way, they have uh, uh, a website where you can uh, buy Bitcoin cash without anybody, without their knowledge, without anybody else's knowledge. Uh, basically, it's just you and another person doing transactions. That's uh, local.bitcoin.com. It's a great site, robust, and you should check it out. Bitcoin.com. We're talking about this situation in China where, well, the coronavirus appears to be spreading and they're trying to stop the spread and kind of looking at it from the standpoint of libertarians. What's yeah. a libertarian? A libertarian is a person who does not believe that you should be able to initiate force against another person. And that's kind of a weird question when you're dealing with somebody who's ill. So a person who's ill could go out and spread an infection, i.e. Mm -hmm. force, amongst other people by touching things or, or whatever. Or they could be very fastidious in making sure that that infection doesn't spread and those kind of things. Plus, when you leave your house, you're taking a certain risk anyway. Yes, you might get hit by a bus. Yep, it could just happen. So, I, I mean, I think it's worth looking at both sides of this. Yeah, it seems that, uh, by the way, I was at a Bitcoin Cash meetup in Tokyo, which was really cool. I'd been hanging out in Japan for about a month, and uh, going to that meetup, it was like being transported back to America. A lot of expats. Oh, I'd, really? Yeah, a lot of people speaking English, Good. which isn't so typical in Japan. Um, but the whole idea of government saving us from this threat, uh, Jeffrey Tucker wrote an article for the American Enterprise American Institute for Economic Research, the AIER, titled, Must Government Save Us from the Coronavirus? And the general gist of this is that people, individuals in society, don't want to get this, right? So they, right. Rally, they rally around the cause of human health, essentially. Right. Sure. And government tends to impede that natural outgrowth for people's concern for each other's well-being. Yes, yeah, that's the thing we need to watch out for. And of course, when government displaces that general sort of desire to make sure everyone's okay, then, you know, it can go off the rails really quickly. And he points out that, you know, in history of internment camps and quarantine facilities, it's not been a pretty picture at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, he says, on the other hand, abuse of such powers is even more frequent. The problem is the low threshold concerning risk. Once government has the power, it can use it in any way it wants. Right. Hold on. Um, that low threshold concerning risk. Let's talk about that for a second, because this is really important when discussing the coronavirus. Now, I don't have all the numbers sitting here right in front of me, but as far as the number of people who've been infected with the coronavirus... Versus the number of people who died, which, by the way, the number of people who have been affected is five figures. The number of people who have died is like three figures. So, so a fatality rate of like 3%, I think it's. Yeah, not yeah. impressive. 
No. Now, some sites are saying it's 25% and the Chinese government's lying. Yes. Well, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I don't know how to address that. I don't have those numbers. At this point, the coronavirus appears to be the flu. Yeah. Or something to that effect. On that note, imagine this headline. A deadly virus is spreading from state to state and has infected 19 million Americans so far. It's influenza. Uh, yes. <laughs> and that kills a lot of people. million Americans. Uh-huh. And that's the thing is we're used to the flu. But the thing is, is when you throw those letters in front of the flu, right, the, um, the E7B6 uh, virus or whatever the heck they say, right? The H1N1. Yeah, the I one they developed the vaccines for, right? Right. So they're coming up with vaccines. Once they start doing that, once they put out a few news stories where they have a specific name for the virus, because that's what it all comes down to. It comes down to a name to, for the virus. Mm-hmm. And once they've got a name, then people are scared. If you call it the flu, then they're used to it. Does SARS sound pretty scary? SARS. It doesn't really matter what, what the name seems to be. Uh-huh. I remember there was that's a scare of the H1N1 virus. Uh-huh. Then there was MERS, and that actually had a higher fatality rate, like 35%. Yeah, and for whatever reason, that didn't get the, the, the traction that SARS Apparently did. Apparently not. But, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, people, once you give it its own name, then they're suddenly uh, more likely to be scared of it. And at this point, the coronavirus is a real non-starter as far as danger goes. Watch out for the flu out there, folks. Exactly. The Centers for Disease Control predicts at least 12,000 people will die from the flu in the U.S., Every year in 2017-2018 flu season, as many as 61,000 people died and 45 million were sickened. Right. So that doesn't really, you know, come up on the radar for most people. I think it's because it's like old people that get this and they're going to die eventually anyway, pretty soon. So and sometimes um, young, young people get sick and die from the flu. Compromised immune systems. And sometimes just regular folks. Yeah. Get sick and die from the flu. That 39-year-old in, in Hong Kong from the coronavirus, apparently he had diabetes. I'm not sure if it was type 1 or type 2, but his immune system was compromised, or at least metabolic issues, I guess. Right. I guess once you say, once you say, but he had diabetes, then that sort of qualifies and everybody's like, oh, you know. Yeah, he was. Because yeah. what they say about the, the influenza, it takes out the weak and the elderly. Mm-hmm. But I repeat myself, <laughs> you know, and people that come in are usually at a late stage, it seems uh, with their fever and so forth. And uh, that can make it harder to save them, essentially. Yeah. So it's true. Like doing damage control at that point. And uh, what it, I think that this technological innovation here that the Chinese government has where they're flying unmanned aerial vehicles equipped with thermo imaging technology, reading body temperatures from the sky with high readings suggesting infection is probably on the net bad. Sounds very efficient, though, doesn't it? It's efficient. And um, efficiency in government scares me. That's, yeah, definitely scary. Like, I get why people want efficiency. I've dealt with the government myself, and it isn't delightful, ever. You sit at the motor vehicles, you think to yourself, surely this everlasting torture could be more efficient. Yeah, you, you, you yearn for governmental efficiency at that moment, but I, there's, there's a danger to government efficiency. What I would say, in fact, is, is that you probably, we probably don't need the Department of Motor Vehicles. No, we definitely do not need that. So what do they do? They um, decide whether or not somebody can, is qualified to drive a vehicle, right? I guess, but also, you know, 
getting revenue, so-called, every year from people having get new stickers for their license plate. So you're identified at the beginning getting a license plate with your vehicle, but then you've got to pay the racket of the stickers every year. Right. So we have the people called notaries that are paid to be honest. Uh-huh. And if uh, you could very well have things like, and we have driving schools. I mean, we could very well just get our driver's licenses through driving schools, and that would probably be a lot more efficient, um, and you wouldn't have to deal with the government. And maybe more people would become driving instructors. I don't know. You're still talking about a licensure and monopoly privilege mm. um, in that circumstance. You could just say that only people who are 18 and over are capable of driving, um, but then the government doesn't have the ability to take away the license if somebody drinks heavily and uh, gets on the road and harms people. Very true. So but at this point, that doesn't stop actually stop those people from driving. It just makes it so if they happen to get pulled over, they get in trouble. So can entrepreneurs provide services better than government? Seems like Accountable to customers. The number, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE, as in Free Talk Live, or the Discord lines at discord.freetalklive.com. It's Free Talk Live. You can call in, talk about whatever is on your mind. Mark here. And Wes. Wes Bertrand. Uh, what's your website, Wes? Well, I have CompleteLiberty.com, which will be out there in perpetuity. That's a great book. Yeah, I wrote two books about complete liberty, uh, a.k.a. voluntarism, so the idea of a stateless society and where there's trust in individuals to make decisions uh, for win-win interactions, essentially. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, you have been one of the guiding lights in the liberty movement as far as uh, your voice and putting out there your ideas. I think it's I great. I appreciate that. Yep. And uh, if, if I don't know how long ago it was, but if folks want to get back and hear some uh, you and I uh, discussing the merits of voting. That's they, right. They can go find that. And that may very well happen tonight. We actually um, went on a cruise to Bermuda to discuss that, have a debate about voting. We did with mm-hmm. Stefan Molyneux, too. There's, um, there's the, the phrase, don't vote, it just encourages the bastards. <laughs> Which, I'm not going to argue that point. The number, <laughs> 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE. want to get to your calls, but I also want to tell you about Divi. I just had a conversation, which I'll have up as an Edgington Post in the near future here. Uh, Edgington Post, by the way, if you need to know, is a podcast that I do, and I tack it on the end of Free Talk Live. So, if you listen live... Whether in through the many mediums that uh, you listen, I thank you for listening live, but don't forget that there are also some extra content that goes on the podcast, so it may be worth downloading and um, checking out. But I'm going to think, I just had a meeting today, and I think we're going to put the Edgington Post up on it as its own thing too, for people who just want to be able to get that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, the conversation with Jeff McCabe of Divi. That's D-I-V-I, Divi, and it's a cryptocurrency that's their intention is to be much more real world and interface better than many cryptocurrencies have up to this point and interface with sort of Bitcoin, um, you know, government money, and then you can use Divi to sort of move in between and make purchases and that sort of thing. They've got a, they've teamed up with uh, Costa Rica using their uh, their fintech uh, laws there in order to make this all a lot easier and they're they're rolling out their technology here in the very near future and i just want to say that i and free talk live have gotten into divi and 
it might be a good idea for you to check out their one-click masternotes. There has been some money made in cryptocurrency in the past, and Divi makes it relatively easy. Their payouts at this point are on the range of 40%, uh, like APR kind of thing. And you can't find that too many places. So check them out. It's DiviProject.org. That's D-I-V-I, DiviProject.org. So you know, don't say you weren't warned. Crypto is known for having mad gains in various ways. Yeah, it can happen. And certainly it's been on the move here recently. Let's go to Ralph calling in from Maine. Ralph, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi. I apologize for tuning in a little bit late. You were talking about the coronavirus. Uh, Did you talk about the uh, floating prisons, one off Yokohama and one off of uh, Hong Kong? There's prisons? No, I don't know anything about this. Floating prisons. Well, two ships that uh, they found uh, passengers with coronavirus. Oh, there's a cruise ship. Yeah, there's... Right, nobody can leave. Uh, Yeah. One of them, the World Dream, has like 4,000 passengers. uh, Wow. You know... I, I call them prisons because you can't even leave your room, and there's no alcohol, no smoking allowed, and they bring the food to your room. Oh, wow. Wow. Suddenly so everything's perfect. changed, right? This cruise that was so much fun with the, um, you know, playing in the pool and, and drinking drinks and doing all this stuff, you'd think they let the people who aren't infected out, but yeah. maybe not. Yeah. The world dream has become the world nightmare. <laughs> So are these China-owned cruise ships, uh, mostly Chinese well, on the ship? Them, one of them's a Princess Line. Oh wow! So, yeah, but uh, and, and then that uh, the World Dream that that one that that has gone on four cruises since uh, somebody with uh, uh, coronavirus was on it. So you, you'd think four four different uh, fill-ups in that ship uh, with passengers have been subjected to infection. I mean, like, I yeah, there's possibilities. Communally and, and doing everything together, and, you know, who knows who's got it. Yeah, there's not a uh, whole lot of self monitoring that has gone on. I remember reading a story of a Chinese family. Uh, the father actually came down with coronavirus. They hospitalized him, but the rest of the family, like the, the wife and the daughter, went to an optometrist in Hong Kong to get her eyes examined, right? Knowing that she's in a family that has the coronavirus. And so the staff actually were Johnny on the spot and they said, let's do a temperature test to you guys. And the woman had the fever. Mm. I don't know if she's got the virus, but nonetheless, they brought in the, the biohazard team with all the suits and stuff down at central station. Hong Kong freaked everybody out because they're seeing all these, you know, biohazard suits and got them quarantined basically. But yeah, there's not a lot of self quarantining, in the Chinese uh, way of doing things, it doesn't seem like. And, and I think it's worth pointing out um, that, you know, China is big on the world stage today. Very big. But when I was a kid, it wasn't. Mostly it was rural, backwater. peasants. I mean, yeah, a lot of we, impoverished people. We, we, you know, the, the statement was made, eat your food. There are kids in China who are starving right now. And that was true. And all I'm trying to say here is, is that, you know, China hasn't had a lot of time to catch up 
with sort of the norms and mores of the modern society. They don't get to move and intermingle the same way. They've been under a communist regime for a long time. Yes. And it's devolved in terms of their freedoms, basically. And so I I believe that uh, the Chinese people, given more opportunities to, you know, mix with the rest of us, will, I guess, civilize might be the best term. And it it sounds very uh, uh, one sided, but. Perhaps well, more thoughtfulness, more consideration of others, because when you've been traumatized collectively like this, you know, the last thing you're really thinking is, how am I going to affect others? I just want to get my needs met, essentially. And there is a lot of like an example is queuing, like getting in lines to do something like Chinese just kind of pile all in there and don't really, you know, form a line. Whereas in Japan, it's completely different. And there's right. a lot of hygienic standards in Japan that don't exist in many other places, including America. You right. Know, I, I mean, a, you know, the, the people in Japan walk on one side of the sidewalk and there's you know, that a, too. They're very yeah. orderly and they line up. They, they love a good line. It appears. And there's uh, just a lot of respect and consideration for people, people in China. Um, it's just a mad dash for the, the, the teller window or whatever, whenever it pretty happens. much, but we're talking about civilization societies that have governments no matter what, you know? Yeah. So I don't know how the government of Japan is, is uh, shaping up in relation to the Chinese government. Ralph, I want to say thank you for the call, sir. Yeah, thanks, Ralph. And let's go to Gilbert calling in from Texas. Gilbert, you're on Free Talk Live. Yeah, I was just remembering about, uh, I, was, I traveled to China about five years ago, um, and uh, as far, uh, I was driving around, as far as the eye could see for miles and miles, there was cranes just building and building and building. I go, what the heck is going on? When I traveled back to, uh, to, um, to the United States, I went to L.A. and New York, and it just seems like it's, nothing's going on here compared to over there. It's just so much going on. And just one of the things I remember is that Goldman Sachs has one of the bu- biggest buildings in Shanghai. So what, what the heck is going on politically over there? I don't know. But, but anyway, they like that's to build. Calling about. Uh, yeah, they like to build. Uh, I heard you guys talking about government inefficiencies, and I just t- tuned in, and I, I, I thought I'd been off a little bit. Because I'm a retailer here in, in Texas, in El Paso, and uh, I, I have to accept all types of, of payment forms. And so the government just uh, arbitrarily called my, one of my stores. I have several stores. And they just they talked to an employee. The employee never got to me. He was just a teenager. You know, they're irresponsible, whatever. They, don't, they didn't know what the call was about. And so they just arbitrarily turned off my EBT, uh, the, the, the Lone Star, they call it, what is it, like food stamp thing, where, where I yeah. can accept in my store. Uh, people to pay pay with a, with their low star card, and they just right. turned it off. And, I, and so I called, I called them, and they could care less. I just talked to a, a faceless bureaucrat. They have um, they have uh, just uh, operators, and I'm and I'm thinking, hey, what's going on? You know, you guys just can't turn me off. I have customers to serve, and uh, you guys just show up whenever you feel like it. You, when I call, nobody attends me. I said, is there a manager? No, you have to talk to us, and you just have to wait. And so because I complained and I told him, you know what, I, I, we, the private sector, have to be efficient. We, we can't get away with you, like, with what you guys could get away. You guys get paid no matter how you do the job. And, and I just true. went off they on sure them. They sure do. And, and because of that, now it's been two months, and I have uh, like five other stores. It usually takes a right. week or two, but now uh, I have five others. Uh, and now, now um, they, uh, they, they haven't turned me on for like almost two months. And so I haven't Gilbert, had the service um, for my, uh, my customers. For, I think they're first thing I want to say, Gilbert, I want to say thank you for your service, right? It's guys like you who are willing to go out there, take the risks, open the businesses and stuff like that that made America great. And thank you. Um, secondly, do you think you've been blacklisted because of your uh, rather frank conversations with the uh, telephone bureaucrat? 
I think so. I think because it never takes that long. It usually takes me about five to ten days. But well, I hope it gets cleared up. Because, Please because, uh, call in and let, uh, tell us more about it. Um, thank you for the call. The number, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE, as in freedom, or the Discord lines at discord.freetalklive.com. Have you heard of LibertyCon? LibertyCon is not only a convention with great speakers like Whole Foods CEO and co-founder John Mackey and Nobel Prize winner Vernon Smith, but it's also unique because you get a chance to network with more than 70 pro-liberty organizations, one-on-one for the purpose of career advancement, business, and internship opportunities. April 3rd through 5th in Washington, D.C. You can learn more by visiting LibertyCon.com and use code FTL for a $10 discount on your registration. That's LibertyCon.com. Free Talk Live. That's right, it is Free Talk Live, and Free Talk Live is originating tonight in the U.S. Mariana Islands. It is Mark with you. And Wes. And when I say tonight, (laughs) what I mean is today, because... We're 15 hours before... uh, In the future. In the future, from From, uh, Eastern Time. Yes. So... That means you're, you know, you're listening from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., so it should be 8 p.m. Eastern Time is the live broadcast of Free Talk Live. Well... So, you know, you're getting ready for bed, you know, putting the kids to sleep, uh, whatever's going on at your household. Here, the day started. It's 11.06. Yeah, we've already gone through all that. A.M. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can tell you the sun rises again. It does. It's <laughs> the same sort of deal. We're, we're still in the northern hemisphere here, too. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I want to drag over from the last hour. Mm. Uh, so Gilbert called in, and he's having some trouble with his uh, EBT acceptance. And as a libertarian businessman, um, well, let's—I don't know whether I don't know that Gilbert said that, but let's 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 take this uh, this question. We were talking about the ideas of liberty and the government inefficiencies and these sorts of things, and it looks like, at least that's what Gilbert believes, that the government. Uh, maybe taking it out on him for sharing a little piece of his mind with a government bureaucrat about their inefficiencies. Yeah, they can be efficient at their sort of draconian measures sometimes. Rather than a a company where you call them up and say, hey, I don't like the level of customer service I'm getting, and perhaps they'll step up and give you a higher level of customer service. I've had it happen. Um, In this case, he believes that he complained about the level of customer service and that they uh, knocked it down. And I think that we all, uh, you know, that they diminished their level of service uh, there and they maybe blacklisted him uh, from accepting EBT at his businesses. And he has several you know, locations and it's an important part of his business, apparently. And I think that, A, Americans, people generally understand that if you give the government a piece of your mind, if you tell one of their little bureaucrats, hey, I think that I'm getting a low level of customer service here and you people ought to step it up, that you're probably going to face some recriminations or possibly face some recriminations. So people tend to keep their mouth shut. 
Yes. I mean, if you think customer service is bad now, wait until you, you complain, right? Right. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to take the level of service you get, and you're going to like it, or you're gonna, at the very least, you're going to shut up. Because yeah. that's what monopolies do, and the government's a monopoly. And every time you give them any kind of area to deal with, it's going to stink. Yeah. Do we need this legalized monopoly to provide for people? Uh, I'd say it's quite an outdated concept. The question I would uh, that sort of came up for me during the uh, the conversation is, would a libertarian businessman accept EBT? Now, EBT is basically food stamps on a credit card, from what I understand. I'm no expert at this. I'm sure somebody could call in and tell me some of the idiosyncrasies of EBT cards. But more or less, let's say it's government money um, to buy the things that you want and need for life. Yeah, a form of status welfare, yeah. right? And Providing this for is people where the, that can't you know, meet their needs. The cigarettes and lobster and all the stuff that uh, people complain that those on government assistance. There's their that. Stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, those kind of stories have some legs or whatever, but ultimately it's just a lot easier to not watch what people are doing with the money than it is to watch it. But what do you think, Wes? As a businessman, would you accept EBT? And if not, why? Okay, well, I would say, given our discussions about pragmatism versus principles yeah. of freedom, I would not, okay. um, because I know that there's all kinds of unintended consequences, but I, too, I do also understand why people do. So it's not like a cut and dry argument. Yeah. I think, what are the stats? Like 30 million people in America are on food stamps? I don't know what the numbers are. I think it sounds you know, right. 10%, sure. 5% of the population, but there's various types of welfare throughout society. Yeah. Right. I mean, I worked for a contractor in New Hampshire that builds the roads and bridges for the state. Right. Right. So it's a private entity, and yet it is taking government money to do it much more efficiently would than the government would. Would a libertarian radio program appear on FCC licensed radio stations? Oh, that's a tough call, man. Right. <laughs> so, you know, for me, what I've decided in this is that. I think everybody has to make their own decisions how they're going to get by in this world where this, you know, hierarchical state exists. And I'm not willing to cast aspersions at anybody. And I, you know, thanked Gilbert for his service as a businessman. Absolutely. He's being industrious and enterprising and providing for people's needs, you know, in a win-win way, which is what a voluntary market does. It's just that we've got this regulatory bureaucracy and a welfare state that is posing as our provider or protector because we somehow couldn't do it otherwise. I think free right. markets are renowned for meeting needs, you know, seeing needs and filling needs in the marketplace to the you know, point where people kind of criticize the, the consumerism, right? All the choices available and all the different ways that you can get shiny things, right? And I think that, you know, in the last hour, what we were discussing was sort of the state and its roles that it takes and could take in uh, sort of global pandemics. So we have this coronavirus, not a global pandemic. This not is, yet, at least. It, we do have a global pandemic. It's called the flu. And people don't seem to care about it at all, and they're not clamoring for the state to do anything about it or whatever. But in the coronavirus, since it's got a name that's important, um, I, you know, on one hand, I want to talk. I want to finish what uh, Jeffrey Tucker has to say here about um, the coronavirus and do we need this the state in this at all? But you know, I think it's worth pointing out that people do seem to want this. You know, like the the the. You know, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea seem to want the state to intervene and do something. 
Everyone has their favorite government program, right. as Harry Brown and, used to say. Are you willing to give that up in order to abolish the IRS? That was his pitch, right? Who's that? Harry Brown. And he was the 1996 and 2000 presidential candidate for Libertarian Party. Not many greater libertarian orators have existed. Yeah, he wrote a book called Why Gov- Government Doesn't Work, and it's pretty instructive. So uh, what's Jeffrey Tucker got to say? So, you know, he says it's not just about disease. The quarantine power has been used by despotic governments all over the world to round up political (laughs) round up political enemies under the thinnest excuse. Fear of disease is as good an excuse as any. Right. So when we get to this point of like uh, our our very lives are endangered, that's when government that postures as your provider and protector. Right. Because people can't do this themselves, supposedly. Uh, this is one of the th- reasons that people seem to get all upset about the illegal aliens, right? Um, that they get all upset about is that, well, they're, I- I've been told they're carrying drug resistant tuberculosis, you know? Yeah, he says in recent times, fears of AIDS have led to calls for arresting Mexican immigrants to prevent the spread of disease. Okay, I didn't I realize AIDS that. was a thing in the Mexican immigrant community. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's any excuse you could use for government intervention. I mean, the biggest example would be... Surely someone in Mexico has AIDS, and surely some of the people who in Mexico who have AIDS have attempted to cross the border. Yeah. I mean, just as many people have done it. But, I mean, the number of illegal aliens coming from Mexico has diminished because, well, America's not as nice a place to be as it was 20 years ago. It's supposed to be a land of opportunity so you can remake your life and start a business and, and, and live in a flourishing way with your family and friends. Right. You I know? mean, one of the things you, uh, Mr. and Mrs. America need to consider is, is that if you're going to get upset about illegal aliens today, how are you going to feel if your kids need to be illegal aliens in the future? What if they need to escape to some country that's doing better? Exactly. Like because the idea of building the wall, it's just designed to keep us in as much as people out socialism and despotism have destroyed the united states and you know they need to go elsewhere it's not like we can't point historically how big government programs and uh government intrusion in people's lives have destroyed uh, you know the status of nations yeah i think when people have their fears sort of dealt with internally like it's about having fear of others fear of threats and when people are in a fearful state they tend to reach for something that can fix things coercively in a sense you know, an authoritarian sort of regime is uh, the preeminent example of how to fix problems with force. Now, FEMA has protocols for dealing with uh, pandemics or whatever they, they decide is an illness that's gotten out of control. Yes. We're going to talk about that. Indeed. The FEMA camps. The FEMA camps. The, the FEMA camps that we have heard so much about. The number, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE, as in Free Talk Live. Talk live. It's Mark with you. And Wes. Coming to you from the U.S. Mariana Islands. Wes, thank you for joining me. You, thank uh, you for having that? me here. Huh? Thank you for having me here. Oh, no problem. Absolutely. And you visited, uh, just uh, you want to check out Saipan and the U.S. Mariana Islands because yep. of CryptoFrontier.org, which is a project to move some crypto-minded people here to the island and see if we can, you know, do some good for everybody. 
Yeah, cryptocurrency is a way to uh, divest ourselves from the fiat currency of governments, um, the way that governments print money out of thin air and basically destroy the livelihood, the economic lifeblood of economies. And that's one of the things I want to express some compassion for the one caller about losing the ability to actually have customers with uh, food stamps, because a lot of people think, on the, on the left at least, that Without these food stamps, these people are just really down and out, you know? And But yet, what has created the economic environment in which food stamps have been sort of demanded for or passed legislation for? I would say it's the creation of the Federal Reserve the last 100 years. The, the, the U.S. currency has lost, what, 98% of its value? It's uh, somewhere between like 97, 98, 99, somewhere in there. This um, is not helpful for people. Right. It's a it's a depreciating asset. And it everybody is. knows it. That's why Americans But it's only 3%, percent What's that? It's only 3% it depreciates per year. <laughs> right. Per year. So we're told. Or 2%. Um, what is it? Maybe it's down to like 1% now, like since Trump is well, been orchestrating things. Well, I don't know. There's things. been, uh, you, you got to look at uh, what's the overnight repo rate has been rather high. I don't know. The thing is, is that the government never tells you how much money they're printing. And that's what inflation is, is inflation of the, the currency. And so that deflates the value of the currency. Mm-hmm. And the government, governments have shown throughout history, ours included, that they're irresponsible with money, the creation of money. And it needs to be taken out of their hands. And that's what cryptocurrency does. Absolutely. And but to use cryptocurrency, you have to have a functioning wallet. And a wallet is a an app that allows you to control your accounts. And you can control them with some Wallets, and that's really important. So one of the wallets, that, the wallet that I recommend is Edge Wallet, and you—it's what they call a uh, non-custodial wallet, meaning no one else has custody of your cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and that's what you want. So uh, they're great. I think they're the best. They—they uh, they work on a- iOS and Android. That's obviously important. You can buy, sell, trade, and securely hold all your most of your cryptocurrencies. There might be some, you know, little off-brand ones that they don't have, but they've got most of it. It's you control it your own money, username and password, as opposed to memorizing a 12-word list of words. That's not going to work for most people, or writing it down. Uh, they've got you know, BTC, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Tokens, Monero, Ripple, Stellar, and many, many more. And this is the veteran team as far as making wallets. They've been around almost the longest. I don't know if they're, I mean, I can think of a couple of wallets that would have been around longer, but they're not as robust and they're not as good. Um, they've been building since 2014. You can secure your freedom with Edge Wallet. Edge.app is where you get it at edge.app. And I think it's the best. I you know, Not just because it's named after me, Mark Edge. It's not named after me. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, they, 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 we know each other. Edge.app. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Paul was running AirBits in uh, San Diego, and that got transitioned into Edge. Yep. I had the AirBits wallet like just up to a few months ago, and then I made the transition. It was pretty seamless. It is. They make it easy for you. So, um, tell me about the FEMA camps. Uh, tell the me FEMA what FEMA camps. <laughs> tell me what uh, the government's done. Some things to control try to try to control the population. Wasn't there some Chinese people that had to deal with something? I want to hear that story. Well, there's a the history of it, right? Yeah. Of a government, you know, abusing their powers that uh, they possess as a result of. Supposedly, this idea of representing us, right? Even though they don't know us, they're complete strangers, more or less. Like, how many people know their representatives? It's spoken to them personally. No. Yeah. So, how can you? I mean, it's hard. I was talking on a podcast uh, many years ago with a friend. Like, even friends can misinterpret what we want, right? So, you go to the store to get something and you think that I wanted this, but that was purchased instead. 
And so that's a very microcosm of the problem of local information trying to get, you know, dispersed to these people that don't know us, really don't care, and are just like subjected to pressure groups, right? Special interests. That's the common sort of bugaboo in American politics. Mm -hmm. Like who's in charge of making sure that those, you know, forces aren't deleteriously affecting other people's interests? Well, yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're not. So this is the problem with the legalized monopoly on coercion, of all things. You know, you really want a system of justice that respects rights and that institutes a fair system. You know, even if there's competing, quote, governments, justice agencies, their interest is to satisfy customers based on the principles of freedom. Right. And that's kind of a integrated process of like learning what freedom means because it's very inconsistently applied and understood in America and around the world, right. obviously. You can choose your cell phone company. You can choose your insurance company. And by the way, an insurance contract is, is a form of governance. Um, you can, but you can't can choose your government. And for some reason, we used to believe as humans that religions and land masses were tied together. You had to be the same religion um, as the people who are around you, otherwise there's going to be problems. Now in the United States, we can see that people of different religions can live on the same street and everything's fine. Absolutely. Now, the next question, can you have a different government? Well, not as governments exist today, not as states, because states are so intrusive and do so many things. But humans do need some form of protection, and they're going to bind together to you know, handle costs and things like that. So... Yeah, I think that we need government, if that's the term you want to use for it, but I don't think it needs to be what we have. And we're going to get to the point where people are governed you know, in different land masses by different organizations. The yeah. question is, when? That's a good question. I mean, with the cryptocurrency, you become your own banker. So instead of having the banking industry controlled by the government, set up by the government, a quasi-private entity called the Federal Reserve controlling the lifeblood of the economy, once again, and controlling this, your bank. this sets your standard of living and your cost of living, primarily. And they, they adjust interest rates according to how the banksters want to do it, right? But all that gets sort of uh, set aside when you engage in this crypto economy that allows you to be your own banker and that comes with some responsibility so there is the other side of freedom is self-responsibility and once people can integrate that i mean everyone wins essentially because you're no longer at the you know, the behest of these organizations that don't have much concern for your individual rights but one example of uh the fema situation the jeffrey tucker has an article that talks about do we need government to impose these things on us Apparently, the fine, any person who violates any regulation prescribed under sections, blah, 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 and any provision, blah, 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 right, enters or departs, limits the quarantine station, and basically doesn't abide by the rules, shall be punished by a fine of not more than 1000 or by imprisonment for not more than one year or both. So he says, if you're willing to risk coughing up $1,000 or going to the pokey for a year, you can pretty much walk around infected with anything and infect anyone else. If that's your goal, it's not likely that such penalties are going to deter you. No. <laughs> no, not at all. Right. I it's, can't. Like, it's not like outlawing felons having guns. Um, if a felon goes and robs a convenience store with a gun, your law didn't do anything. And it's because laws don't stop lawbreakers. Bad guys don't care about your laws. The number, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE. You're welcome to call in, comment about this or anything else here on Free Talk Live. Am I wrong? Do bad guys care about your laws? 
855-450-3733. I want to tell you about my favorite cryptocurrency wallet, Edge Wallet at edge.app. Edge is the wallet I use more than any other, and that was true long before Edge Wallet became a sponsor of Free Talk Live. Edge Wallet allows you to buy, sell, trade, and securely hold your cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, tokens, Monero, Ripple, Dash, Bitcoin Cash, and more. It's available for both Android and iOS, and you can download it via the Play or App Store or via Edge Wallet's website, edge.app. Secure your freedom with Edge Wallet. Talk live. Call in. Talk about whatever's on your mind. It is Mark with you and Wes. The number eight five five four five zero three seven three three. That's eight fifty five four fifty free. And you can call in and talk about whatever is on your mind. What's on my mind right now is Liberty Con. You can go to, Con is short for convention. It's put on by the Students for Liberty. And you can go to libertycon.com and get signed up. This is a low-cost event. And it's because it's, you know, for students, by student organization and all that stuff. But it's a high-quality event, and it's going to be very, very well attended. It's in Washington, D.C. It's April the 3rd. Fourth and fifth, the big day is the fourth. But yeah, you should be there for the whole thing. Uh, Free Talk Live is going to be there. We're going to uh, be having some fun. We're going to be interviewing some people. So I'm looking right now at the speakers. Uh, Steve Forbes, he's awesome, always great. He's the editor in chief of, if you're not familiar, Forbes Magazine. John Mackey, uh, co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods. Um, there's Titus Gable, who is one of my favorite. He's the president and CEO of Free Private Cities Incorporated. And Matt Warner, president of the Atlas Network. The objectivists should be well represented at this, Wes. I know nice, that nice. Warms, warms the cockles of your little objectivist heart. Even though they're not necessarily voluntarists, they <laughs> still have a coherent philosophy other than that. Indeed. And lots of other speakers, too. Uh, Miriam Issa, uh, Marquette Ward, wait, excuse me, uh, Catherine Mangu Ward, editor-in-chief of Reason Magazine, um, should be a lot of fun. So go sign up at libertycon.com, Washington, D.C., April the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. So it's coming up soon. You don't want to miss out. I want to see you there. I want to say hi to you. I want to have a conversation with you. So please, Get signed up. Come out and see us at uh, libertycon.com. And we're back to this uh, Jeffrey Tucker article talking about the government and the dangers of them attempting to stop the spread of disease. Absolutely. And I was wondering, as far as LibertyCon, is there an opposing groups like um, Fascist Con and uh, Communist <laughs> Con? Heard, I'm sure there is. <laughs> that would be interesting. They don't really want to come out explicitly about that. Right? Socialism Con coming up. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> Yeah, so there are actually regulations in America that's under the auspices of the Center for Disease Control about how to quarantine people. It says regulations prescribed under this section may provide for the apprehension and examination of any individual reasonably believed to be infected with a communicable disease in a qualifying stage 
and A, to be moving or about to move from a state to another state, or B, to be a probable source of infection to individuals who, while infected with such a disease in a qualifying stage, will be moving from a state to another state. So it's this interstate commerce, I guess, is what they're thinking is the uh, way to enforce this. Such regulations may provide that if upon examination any such individual is to be is found to be infected, he may be detained for such time and in such manner as may be reasonably necessary. So necessary and prudent. Yeah. That's, um, the government loves to say that they're um, that they've deemed thing. they get to decide what the arbit- they're the arbiters of things that are necessary and reasonable but i mean seriously ladies and gentlemen do you consider the government to be a good judge of what is necessary and reasonable for things in your life their track rec- record is atrocious right on- and remember the rule the rule set here is is you should be able to have freedom for your life but in order to have it, you need to give it to other people. So you should be able to, like, the question asked to you, do you think the government is reasonable when in dealing with you, when it has dealt with you and people in your family? Well, if you don't think it is, then it's probably not reasonable when it's dealt with other people either. Do you want to re- release this rapacious and inefficient organization on people? There's the so-called Surgeon General, and uh, this person has the power in America, apparently, to control, direct, and manage all U.S. quarantine stations, grounds, and anchorages, designate their boundaries, and designate the quarantine officers to be in charge thereof. This is from the legalese, you know, part of the regulation. With the approval of the president, he shall from time to time select suitable sites for and establish such stations, grounds, and anchorages in the states and possessions of the United States, as in his judgment are necessary, his judgment are necessary to prevent the introduction of communicable diseases into the states and possessions of the United States. So I guess if if you have a course of monopoly that's in charge of things like this, this sounds sensible, right? But the question is, can we do something else besides this, besides having people involved in, a, in an organization that seeks to dominate people? Ten, you know, the fight for liberty is constant, right, to prevent the intrusions of government over and over again. Like in New Hampshire, it's always been an uphill battle trying to prevent more and more laws from being passed to resemble more and more like uh, Massachusetts, for instance. You know? Yeah. It just keeps happening. I mean, like exactly when is uh, this is going to end this? uh, You know, everybody's all these uh, politicians say they're for small government, at least the Republican ones do. And they're not. It just keeps happening. So a smaller form of cancer is the metaphor. Typically, I guess. um, Look, I get the allure of small government for people. But, uh, you know, at some point or another, we have to realize that it's just not something that gets achieved. When it comes to life and death scenarios, such as a communicable disease like this, um, it's important to trust in our fellow humans. Like humans really thrive in crisis situations. Like here in Saipan, which is an island about 50% larger than Hong Kong Island, by the way. And Hong Kong Island has, well, the Hong Kong area has the most skyscrapers anywhere in the world, apparently. Maybe thousands of them. I don't think they're quite as susceptible to earthquakes Earthquakes as we are here. And typhoons, exactly. But But either way, you could put... You know, this this island had uh, historically has had more than five times as many people on it as it currently does. Yes. And it has a degree of autonomy that I wasn't even aware of until I heard, um, you know, the Crypto Frontier proponent, Alex, talking about this on, on Free Talk Live. And it's definitely different, I think, in some respects than the mainland America. They call it mainland. Um 
But nonetheless, it is a society that does rally together when there's crisis situations. Like the typhoon hit, it was huge. There was 200 mile an hour winds. And, you know, people found ways to actually cope with this. It's just that when you add a government into the mix, it tends to degrade the human initiative a lot of the time. Sure. Substitute that. Like, so Jeffrey's point here with this article is saying that human beings as individuals in society interacting with each other can actually solve these problems way better because they're sensing and responding in their local environments to things to make decisions. You know, you don't have to get a line, a picking order to get decisions made by the Surgeon General, for instance. Right. There's no top down sort of thing. People can actually just do it uh, according to their own responsibilities. I had a situation where my driveway washed out. Now, it washed out down by the road, so it was the problem of the state of New Hampshire. And obviously, I don't have to worry about that now. I'm renting in Saipan. But uh, if it had washed out farther up, it would have pretty much been my problem. Sure, I could have made the case that they needed to compensate me because it was their culvert that jammed up or whatever the situation was. But as a result, I just had to wait for when they decided to repair it mm-hmm. as opposed to getting out there and attempting to do it myself um, so that I could get it. I couldn't get a vehicle out. I mean, I was stranded. Kind of a crisis situation. <laughs> and I did figure what I did was borrow a vehicle from a friend and had them. I just parked it in another spot of my properties, but I had to walk over to it. It's inconvenient, but I was you know managing to do it. But my vehicles were stuck. I couldn't get across this four foot chasm. And here I am just waiting for the government to fix it. Uh, you know, to their credit, they did it relatively quickly. I think they did it in like three days or something, probably as fast, if not faster than I could have gotten somebody out there to repair it. Now, I probably could have just thrown rocks in there and managed to drive my four-wheel truck over it. Yeah. But they wouldn't have wanted me to do that. People can help each other in a free society. That's the thing. And they don't need to work in an organization that kind of impedes that freedom. Indeed. The number, 855-450-3733. That's 855-450-FREE. Free Talk Live. Talk Live. The number, 855-450-3733. That's 855-450-FREE, as in freedom, and you are welcome to call in and talk about whatever is on your mind. It's Mark with you. And Wes. And uh, yeah, I've uh, actually got a, we got a couple of calls here on the Discord line. I'm going to have to... Uh, check that out here in the near future, Wes. But I uh, wanted to tell you about the AMP program. You can go to AMP, that's A-M-P, amp.freetalklive.com. And if you like what we do here on Free Talk Live, like having guest hosts like Wes Bertron of Complete Liberty, which, Frank, Wes, you ever been on another nationally syndicated radio program? Never have, other than yeah. this one. Well, actually, Mark Stevens, No State Project. I'm not sure how he's syndicated. But, I'm not uh, sure what his, uh, he has been on other shows, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure. How, I don't think he has stations. I think he is uh, more of a podcast. But uh, regardless, he does a live program. Netcast, I guess, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, there's not other shows that are doing what we're doing. So please uh, support us. The number 
uh, excuse me, the, the website is ampamp.freetalklive.com and want you to want to thank Venkman, who is a longtime silver amplifier. That Venkman, thank you very much for your support. And you can be like Venkman and go to amp.freetalklive.com. And I am going to leave the screening of those uh, Discord calls to the break. Uh, can't do that right now. Um, I meant to do it earlier, but the problem is, is that you can't screen them during certain commercials. Got to wait, and I, I forgot. So pardon me, everybody. Those were high-quality calls, Indeed. right? So um, we've talked about the, the coronavirus and, and all that stuff. I think it's, uh, it's, worth, it's instructive to look at. One thing I want to look at is something that happened here in the last week in radio land is Rush Limbaugh was diagnosed with lung cancer. Uh-huh. Now I have not always been the biggest fan of Rush Limbaugh and I disagree with him on some issues. And at the same time I can, yeah, I'm hearing uh, some kind Someone's of audio. Someone's smacking their lips. The studio. Someone's breathing into a microphone. Yep. So uh, I think that that is got to be that's probably my fault. It's not Rush Limbaugh. Yep. Um, <laughs> the golden EIB microphone is not I, connected I think to the I show. Know what I did. So okay. um, yeah, uh, Rush Limbaugh has uh, lung cancer, and it probably came from many years of uh, his nicotine stained fingers. Right. Yeah, he used to say the form, formerly nicotine stain, nicotine stained fingers. Yeah. So I wonder when he uh, you know went back off the rails. It's been some time, and. Uh, you know, I got to say, it kind of hit me a little hard. It's like, oh, man, the godfather of talk. This guy built this industry I'm in. He also gave it some trouble, too, in the recent past with the uh, Sandra Fluke incident where he um, it was trying to make a point that people who are irresponsible with their sexuality and have, uh, you know, re- results that they're, they weren't expecting um, – you know, we have a term for that, and the term he used was slut, right? I see. And I think it was a little went a little too far, but let's not forget that it is kind of a talk show host's job to get press beyond their show. Yeah, and more or less a right-wing talk show host. I remember Rush when he had his television show, and he was uh, more conservative economically, you know, like yep. not promoting a lot of the state intervention stuff and more free market Oriented. I don't know what he's been like uh, lately on the airwaves, but he's mostly they. He spends his time defending the Republicans and uh, lambasting the Democrats. And that's the blood sport, isn't it? That's his shtick, and you know, okay, that's fine. The, however, um, I guess it was last night or the night before. Things get a little confused when you're halfway around the world. Yeah, but, which day was it? But uh, so. Yeah, in stage cancer, I guess maybe stage four or five. It's four. Um, it's, so you know, he's he's pretty far along, and he's but, around seventy years old. Uh, he's sixty nine. Uh huh. Yeah, he was given the Medal of Freedom by President Trump in a surprise fashion. I see. By the way, if you want to study what surprise looks on people's faces look like, you should see this video. Because um, he, he truly didn't know that he was going to get the medal. Surprise! You get the the highest civilian uh, award uh, that we can give. Who is that usually given to? Is it is it given every year? It was given to Paul Harvey. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was given to uh, Friedrich Hayek, an economist. There I you go. I think that there's no argument that Rush Limbaugh is, you know, I mean, he he reaches the levels of the people who have re- received the Medal of Freedom. 
Um, you know, sure, you you know save a bunch of kids from a burning school bus, you could get it too. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing wrong with any of those things. It's an award, and it's uh, can be given out the pre- the president, and there you go, it's being given out. But uh, I love this uh, quote here from Steve Lampa, who is the president of South Florida's based Lampcom Communication Corporation. How ironic is the talk radio world? The man who is number one on the no-buy list, and this no-buy list is uh, media companies and uh, major advertisers won't advertise on Rush Limbaugh and some other shows. Fortunately, Free Talk Live does not seem to have made that list, but nonetheless, um, you know, if they're not going to buy on a station that has Rush Limbaugh, then they're not going to buy Free Talk Live anyway. So anyway, um, list received the number one civilian honor by the President of the United States. How many agency marketing directors will open their thinking to what great talk radio is about and the deep influence of great talent? And this is something like this is the thing is, is that for some reason um, it's become unacceptable to support media that has opinions that make you ask a question. Almost as as if free speech doesn't exist or it's not a priority, right. not a value. Right. Free, you know, the lack of free speech is enforced by the marketplace, not by um, – and Rush Limbaugh's he's not a racist. You know, I mean, some people may conclude that, but he's not. I mean, he's his number one employee is black, <laughs> you know. Um, Schnurdly, I guess, is uh, uh, his, his on-air name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like we're talking about speech that is – terrible or anything like this this guy says one thing one time and suddenly no major advertiser will touch him it's kind of like the, the cancel culture that's going on that's right? what it is it's yeah. it's cancel culture and this uh i think it's media matters is the organization that goes out and i'm sure that they've you know they've listened to free talk live and probably thought well yeah not worth going after these guys they say they're libertarian they're already nuts so whatever mm. yeah it's it's hard i guess in that kind of culture that milieu to build bridges of empathy, which is what we really need in a society that's so fractured. You know, this blood sport of Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives. It seems like um, there's no way to unite on values that transcend the party politics BS. It's all I got to say on it is uh, media buyers, grow a pair, um, advertisers. Look, this is what free speech looks like. And Rush Limbaugh, Godspeed to you godfather of talk wish him well let's go to the discord line skate four you're on free talk live what's on your mind skate four can you hear me i did test the audio on this well what are you gonna do mission control houston yeah there you go um i want to talk about the coming up in the, the the next segment i want to talk about iowa so there has been it took a long time to get results out of Iowa. It looks Corn. like a virtual tie between uh, um, Mayor Pete Buttigieg mm. and Bernie Sanders. And then uh, I think, was it Warren that got a few points after that? I can't So this remember. is like delegates, right? This is about delegates. Uh, yeah. This is a, um, it's a delegate race. And without the delegates... Um, you know, it, it, this doesn't matter. So it, the actual numbers don't matter, especially in a um, primary situation, because, well, you know, it's no big deal. It looks like Elizabeth Warren got five, Biden got two, and Kloelbacher got one. 
Um, and Iowa's been first for a long time, but this debacle appears to have uh, shaken their position as the number one, as the first caucus in the nation. And they were not able to count the delegates accurately. There were inconsistencies, I am told. Okay. And well, I don't know. It says uh, here, 49 delegates, 48 are pledged and eight are super delegates. I know after the superdelegate situation last go around with the Democrats, now they're doing superdelegates somewhat differently. So we'll see how that all lines up this go around. And is it like the Electoral College where they count a certain popular vote and then the delegates go along Represent with the popular that? Vote. Yeah. Or not. They can choose not to, I guess? Yeah. Well, the delegates have to vote their first round for the person that they voted for, um, usually. And then after that, or the person that they were voted in to vote for. It's very convoluted. It's hard not to have your eyes glaze over with this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's boring and dumb. But New Hampshire's coming up on Tuesday now. Okay. So here we go. The number, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE, as in freedom here on Free Talk Live. Call in with your opinions. Do you want more businesses accepting Bitcoin Cash and Dash? Now with AnyPay, you earn passive income for every purchase at those businesses. Finally, a financial incentive to spread Bitcoin Cash and Dash. You made it happen, so you get the rewards. Download the AnyPay Cash Register app and add your cryptocurrency wallet addresses. Then install it at a real-life business and tell us what you did at AnyPayInc.com. AnyPayInc.com. That's right, it is Free Talk Live, and you are free to call in and talk live here on the airwaves. And it's Mark with you. And Wes. Coming to you from the U.S. Mariana Islands. Let's get right into the phone calls here. We're uh, still trying to work out the bugs on the Discord line, so uh, you know, be prepared for whatever may happen. Lapender, you're calling in from the subarctic about FEMA camps. What's on your mind? I was thinking when you first mentioned them that the FEMA camps and a lot of things that we see nowadays really do resemble the uh, surf system or the imperialistic system that was in place through much of Europe prior to World War One. How so? And I was just wondering and thinking, has our world structure and society structure really changed very much since then? I, I guess the question, uh, I mean, you know, oftentimes these forms of control are transparent to people. They don't see them. Um, you know, they're just invisible. And like I would say that, for instance, property taxes are vanishingly similar to quit rents of old. You know, this is quit rents for what they called basically property taxes that were paid to the Lord in the form of grain as opposed to money but grain was a form of currency <laughs> it's and yeah. so eh, i i don't think people see it i don't think people see the uh you know the comparisons to serfdom and how similar things can be so go ahead i i absolutely think you're right on that and to that point especially about paying taxes and property taxes i remember watching a uh, little 
I guess we could call it a promotional video that was brought out by uh, the former president of General Motors, I think it was, uh, John Sutherland. Back in the 1950s, he was pushing and promoting people buying bonds and buying insurance as a way of contributing to the capitalist society and driving capital. So I think um, people were yeah. tricked, you know? Well, how's that compare um, to how's, how, uh, explain to me how that would fit into this uh, serfdom paradigm? Well, when we had the crash of uh, the system in uh, 1929 through 1935, the Great Depression, yep. we had a gold standard through America. And after that, we didn't have anything to base the dollar on. So when World War Two came along, we were. You know, America was producing so much for uh, for the war. And then you had the post-war economy that was booming, but nothing to back the currency on. So the way I look at it, the people were then asked to surrender their rights to their homes by paying into a capitalist society. If you buy insurance, you are buying into capital and supporting the society as it developed. But now insurance isn't something that you can feel like you own or take power over. It's more like an obligation you have to have unless you want to lose your home. Right. I mean, insurance is a funny thing. You're paying money in in order to deal with some catastrophe that you can't afford to deal with. The chances are good that you're paying more money than you should because not only are you covering any problem that you might have in the future, but you're also helping to run a company. A big company. And they are making lots of money. Right. Um, you know, they're doing just fine. They're employing lots of people and all that stuff. But clearly, I mean, that's not what my goal is. My goal isn't to get, you know, XYZ insurance company to keep to see them running. My goal is, is if my house burns down to have an, enough money to, to buy a new house. And, uh, you know, it gets difficult. Then when you're, um, you know, a landlord, you're like, well, I might be responsible with my property and I might not have candles or whatever, but what about my uh, tenants? You know, do I need to have insurance for that? And then it gets you know, very complicated. So I think you're right, uh, Lapinder. We are sort of stuck in a system where, well, you don't always have the choices you'd like to have. I appreciate the call. Thank you. The number, 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE. And you can call in and sound that good uh, by simply coming in and uh, you know calling in on the Discord lines. You go there, you sign up, and you can call in. Discord.freetalklive.com. So we're talking about this uh, situation in Iowa that has gone on this week. And for days, we didn't know who the uh, what the final count was going to be. It was a lot closer here at the end, as I understand it, than uh, it was sitting at for a long time. Now it's basically a tie. It was a, basically a tie as far as uh, the delegates went previously, but um, you know the, the percentage has changed. So Buttigieg and Sanders at 11, Warren at 5, Biden at two. And we, by the way, we we're told Biden's going to be the one. Well, apparently not. And um, then Klobacher has gotten one. So there you go. But the vote count has, um, has, has kind of uh, gotten a lot closer between Buttigieg and, and Sanders. So it was. Do you uh, think five... there's any foul play in this? Oh, I don't know. Um, I just think it's just 
dumb play, <laughs> you know, yeah, just mistakes. Politics as usual. And this is just one of the polls that they're taking throughout America to determine who can be the ruler, proposed right. ruler for America. Well, this is not the propo- for the proposed rulership. This is for the proposal of the proposal of the rulership. Gotcha. And um, so uh, Buttigieg and Sanders are the top dogs right now. And the vote count was actually two votes between these guys. So I'm going to call this a virtual tie. Yeah. But like you were saying, he has a big constituency in Iowa, right? Whereas in Buttigieg is the mayor of is it Kansas City? I don't know what to, he's the mayor of one of these uh, Midwestern towns. Obviously, okay. that's closer to Iowa than um, Vermont is, um, you know, than Vermont, where Sanders is from. Sanders is going to clean up in uh, New Hampshire like he did before. Now, what's that going to mean for Biden and Warren by? South Carolina, I don't know. And it really, it's, it all kind of gets parsed out around Super Tuesday. You start seeing who's, uh, who's going to drop out and who's not. But Rand Paul did not so well in Iowa and dropped out before New Hampshire the last go around. So, um, you know, these things can make a difference. Uh, on the Republican side, uh, surprise, surprise, Donald Trump is running away with pretty much everything, getting 97% of the votes, uh, followed up by Bill Weld, who did get a delegate, and Joe Walsh. Um, I love his music, man. Um, he didn't get anything. So, as Where's far as the delegates. libertarians in those categories? <laughs> well, the libertarians have their own system, which is more similar to what went on previously where they just did it at a convention okay so you will not get to decide unless you're a delegate for the libertarian party and you could do that potentially but in all likelihood who the people listening to me will not get to decide who the libertarians put up for president you will just either be able to vote for them or not and that's up to you at the convention i guess right so the convention they will determine who their delegate who their uh, nominee is and they'll go from there and that's a little bit delayed compared to what the the Dems and their pubs are doing. Yeah. Um, so the, the Dems and the Republicans, well, they're using our system um, to, you know, our, our, our paid system to, to do all of this. So um, I prefer with the libertarians, uh, their system to just, you know, do it, do it amongst themselves. They're paying for their own convention. People are paying their own airfare. They're getting it all done. They don't need uh, your tax dollars in the form of their um, primaries. But anyway, what I wanted to talk about is the Washington Monthly here um, has uh, come up with the case against Iowa, that they don't think that Iowa should be the first in the nation caucus. And, uh, you know, as a, a guy who lived in New Hampshire for some time, I've always kind of been, you know, we've been at odds with uh, Iowa because New Hampshire's first in the nation primary, but Iowa's the first caucus. And, you know, so what, what's important, what's not here uh, going on here from uh, Paul Galastris. In the rare occasions when he can bring himself to do so, Bruce Babbitt, the former Arizona governor and presidential candidate, watches videotapes of his performance in the 1988 Iowa debates. Each time he's struck by how he and other candidates focused on narrow issues like farm subsidies and aid testing instead of the broad issues which most voters uh, judge presidents at the economy and national security. I'm going to go on with this. The number 855-450-3733. It's 855-450-FREE here on Free Talk Live.
Talk Live. Call in, talk about whatever's on your mind. It's Mark with you. And Wes. The number 855-450-3733. That's 855-450-FREE. You asked for it. You got it. Liberty.menu. Um, our listeners wanted to have a directory of liberty-oriented businesses where they can go spend their their dollars and to be able to list their businesses. Liberty.menu is that. So the only requirement for listing your business uh, on Liberty.menu is the belief in the non-aggression principle. If you don't know what the non-aggression principle is, you can go check it out. They'll make it very clear to you at liberty.menu. That's liberty.menu. Uh, advertising is free there. Use of it is free. You can, um, there, there's some paid upgrades you can do. But liberty.menu is available to you. That is a website, and that is how we say it, liberty.menu. And want to go to the phones. We've got Rudy calling in from California. Rudy, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey guys, yeah, uh, I was ridiculous. I mean, we don't have to put the boats in a backpack on a horse to drive, you know. I mean, uh, why don't we jump into the 21st century? Well, it was, uh, what, in 2012 when the Republicans had their convention, their, their caucus there, and uh, they announced Ron Paul won it. And then two weeks later, they announced someone else won it. And then in June, they gave it to Mitt Rom- Romney. It, 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 it's just, we can upgrade it. And you were talking about how you guys, you lived in New Hampshire and Iowa. Yep. It doesn't seem like uh, these two completely white states should be representative of the nation as a whole and have such weight in their, you know, importance. I think it's, I think it's a big deal for the for-profit media to send all the reporters there. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of like, a, it just seems like a big waste of uh, energy and, why don't we have something like a national uh, primary or something? You know, maybe two. You know, have one one to uh, to win out the losers, and then have a national primary, and just uh, it just makes more sense. We're uh, we're we're smarter than that. We've got you know we've got the internet now. I mean, really. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. This idea with delegates and sending people to vote in a place and to do stuff, it's really antiquated. The Electoral College is an antiquated uh, thing. I'm not saying um, that it doesn't have its values, but, you know, this is it was created at a time when the fastest you could travel was that on the back of a horse and exactly. not so much anymore. Um, we can put this yeah, together. I, it's absolutely doable. We've got to go from uh, Alabama to Washington, D.C. We'll be there in, like, what, six days or something on the horse? Uh, no, it's, uh, it's just uh, we, can, we're, we should be uh, more modern than that, I think. Uh, right. I, I, I think you're right, Rudy. I appreciate the call. And I, I don't – I honestly don't have, um, you know, the, the better system come up with in my mind because, you know – inefficiencies in appointing somebody that I don't want in, in their position, I guess just don't get me thinking all the time. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking for that, but I would agree that there's no particular reason why Iowa and New Hampshire should be the places that begin our journey to, you know, who's going to be the highest, the, the, the leader of the free world, right? Political dog and pony shows. 
that's kind of how it goes. I wonder what Vermin Supreme would think about this issue. I, I do like him. <laughs> he's, a, he's a lot of fun. He would probably want New Hampshire, right, to hand out the free ponies. Yeah, he wants uh, he wants the uh, uh, to New Hampshire to be pony ground zero, I think. Yeah, it's really an archaic tradition, like the guy said. You know, we're in the 21st century. Uh, we don't really need archaic traditions, don't we? we? We need new systems, basically, that work for people rather than work against their interests. Yeah, honestly, though, the whole idea of a president whose power continues to grow and, um, you know, can prosecute wars without really, not wars, but conflicts without uh, really anybody saying otherwise, huh? You know, what are you going to do about it? Not much. The president gets to do that stuff. And yeah. nobody seems to be able to stop him. Like, Let's go ahead. It gets, it gets back to the perceived legitimacy. Once again, if you if you believe in a ruler of an economy, um, then, of course, like H.L. Mencken said, you know, Americans, if they want democracy, they're going to get it uh, good and hard, basically. <laughs> they are going to get it good and hard. Skate 4, what's on your mind? Hello. Hey, calling in on Discord. Can you guys hear me all right? I can. I Indeed. Gotcha. What's on your mind? All right. Awesome. Okay. So I was thinking about buying some cryptocurrency. I don't own any cryptocurrency yet. Okay. But I always thought it was, you know, a cool concept back when I first heard about it in like 2015. Yeah. I bet, uh, bet you're wishing you got some in 2015, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. For sure. So uh... like 2015 is like when I first had my job and I was debating on like whether to buy, you know, a few hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin or to buy my first car. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and buy my first car. Right. That car ended up being a rust bucket. So. <laughs> Yikes. So the car is gone, but the crypto would have still been there. Um, right. Yeah. Exactly. Crypto doesn't rust away, does it? So how are you thinking about going to get this uh, cryptocurrency? Are you looking for advice? Yeah, I'm just mainly looking for advice on, uh, uh, how much, how much to invest, um, so well, I was thinking somewhere around 10, 10% of what I have in savings right now. I think that's a good number. So if you're talking about an investment uh, in the hopes that cryptocurrency goes up, um, this is advice that I never followed myself. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I went in more whole hog at one point um, with what I had in savings. But, I, you know, I would say that 10% is the sort of a the sort of magic number. Um, cryptocurrency is con is considered to be volatile and risky. Yes. And there are people who went in and, and when Bitcoin was, you know, 15, 16, 17, 17 18, 17, 19, $20,000. And they're still back hoping that they can get, uh, yeah. get their money back out at some point. And maybe that'll be the case. It seems like it to me, but I don't, you know, we're, we're still haven't hit that highest of the high. Uh, yet and maybe that'll happen likely it'll happen but i i won't you know i'm not the one to go tell people to uh you know put your life savings into this and definitely mortgage. not oh, yeah definitely yeah definitely mortgage the house not, yeah. no more than you want to maybe, lose or that you can afford to lose basically yeah exactly that's that's always wise for invest, as far as investments go so, um, you, so what you could do is you could go to bitcoin.com i think you can use a credit card to buy there if you're not talking about um you know many tens of thousands of dollars it's a relatively easy way to get some and then you could use the edge wallet and put right. the bitcoin cash that you purchased in there and use one of the two 
I think they still have Changely and Shapeshift.io mm-hmm. there that you could then change the currencies to different currencies there. And then you could have all the spreads of different types that you want. That sounds like an easy way to do it. Um, you know, so there's some advice. Or you can go to local.bitcoin.com and try to buy some on there. But, you know, you never know how that's going to What are some, what are some other uh, cryptocurrencies that you recommend? I like Divi. I like Bitcoin Cash. I like uh, Dash. And I like Bitcoin. And I like Ethereum. Thanks for the call. Yep. Bitcoin.com has launched a trading platform at local.bitcoin.com, allowing you to buy or sell Bitcoin cash via dozens of payment methods like PayPal, Venmo, bank deposit, remittances, or meeting in person with cash. There are no ID requirements to sign up for and use the site, and all communications between buyers and sellers are encrypted. Finally, a global trading platform that respects your privacy. Visit local.bitcoin.com to get started trading Bitcoin cash local.bitcoin.com free talk live coming to you live from the u.s mariana islands gotta say it's kind of interesting doing a radio show that I'm used to doing at 7 o'clock in the evening every day. Right now it's 12.30, just past noontime. And I'm looking out over, you know, sunlit mountains and... Uh, palm trees. Palm trees, the banana trees all over the place. And it's, uh, you know, it's just gorgeous. Um, I do not miss slipping on the ice in, in New Hampshire. Love New Hampshire, mind you. Uh, you know, great weather four months out of the year. Uh, gorgeous place to be. It's the reason that uh, so many people have uh, lake houses in New Hampshire for the summertime. It's, this is a wonderful place to be. Um, but, and home of the Free State Project, hoping uh, those folks do well. The number, 855-450-3733. Mark with you. And Wes. Let's go to the phones. Oh, first I want to tell you about Fork Fest. Uh, we're having a party in New Hampshire at uh, the Rogers Campground. We're calling it Fork Fest because it's a fork of the Porcupine Freedom Festival. No spoons allowed. What's that? No, no spoons. spoons allowed. No yeah, spoons. You exactly. must use forks. Uh, <laughs> knives are okay. And um, you come out there, do what you want. As a matter of fact, guns are okay because New go. Hampshire, open carry is completely legal. So, um, And Rogers Campground respects that. Just go to ForkFest.Party to find out more. We've got uh, all the information you need there. It's uh, around 4th of July weekend. Mm-hmm. So ForkFest.Party. That's Fork as in the eating implement. Fest as in festival. Dot as in, well, you know what happens when you put in URLs. Party as in, woo, we're going to have a good time. ForkFest.Party. Let's go to the phone lines. David calling in from New Mexico. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Liberty Con, haven't you had enough Liberty Con? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> it's what you got here, at least the last hundred years. Indeed, we've been conned into believing this might be liberty. The land of the free, the home yeah. of the brave, right? That's what they say. Haven't been That's so free lately. <clears throat> been pretty brave, though. And, uh, oh, first of all, Mark, let me help you. Uh, Kolbacher? That's her name, Klobacher. From Minnesota? Minnesota. Yeah, I'm from Minnesota. Can't you tell? Don't you know? 
I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't spend, I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out the names of these people because they're here, here today, uh-huh. gone tomorrow. I mean, in my job, imagine how many of these politicians' names I've rattled off over the last twenty years now, almost on the radio. Radio, eighteen years, yeah. I think we've been on, and. Uh, you know, once they're gone, I forget about them. So in some cases, I don't even bother trying to really get their names right. So what? I mean, everybody else is out here. These uh, talking heads are like, oh, I got to make sure I get this. Is it Buddha, 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 like I, whatever. I don't care. It's 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 a a booty plug. <laughs> there you go. Booty plug. Yeah. What do we call in about before exactly. I lose my? <clears throat> before you lose what? Before we before I lose it and get rid of you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, oh, and, and by the way, uh, Amy Amy Klobuchar is Jewish as well, and that's good to know. Well, she didn't good do very well, so that throws a wrench no. into that conspiracy theory. It does. Well, it, well, it does, except for except for you got Klobuchar, Sanders, Steyer, Bloomberg, and how many others are still in the race? Uh, uh, Buttigieg and uh, and uh, Warren and Biden and. Another one, anyway. Um, so it's 50%. Well, there's Andrew Yang still here. He's down. He got a few votes. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like 50%. I don't think he's Jewish. No, no I don't think so not, either. Well, you 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 never know. Can't but, win uh, them anyway, all, I guess. So, yeah. How? Or first of all, how long are you staying in Marianas Islands before you return to the frozen north? I'm going to go to LibertyCon, so I have to be back by April. I presume I'm going to figure start figuring things out late March. I haven't bought any tickets because I'm not sure what's going on with this coronavirus and canceled flights and all that sort of thing. I will mm-hmm. be happy to do that, but my target is to return somewhere around late March, and then I will be spending the, the summer in New Hampshire because it's gorgeous there. And then, well, we got to get the kid in school here in Marianas Islands. So we got to. So, gotta so you're moving. You're you're mo- you're moving there full time. I'm a resident. I have my driver's license and my voter ID card. Cool. So did did you sell your house and? Nope. New haven't sold my house. Haven't sold the house. Okay. You, you, I don't you actually make that uh, step, or you... I don't actually oh, own a okay. house in New Hampshire. Ah, got it. Okay. Well, that makes that easy. So anyway, I was going to you uh, uh, previously you'd said you were interested in talking about uh, I, that day was a, a hearing that had some interesting things. But do you have any questions on this case that you're familiar with, which you can explain to your listeners if you want to? Do you yeah. have any questions that are on your mind? Because that would be a good starting point since you expressed interest in it. Well, let me explain it. So you had a, uh, a, a situation with the, the University of New Mexico's public radio station, and this is tax funded, as is the as is New Mexico, the University of New Mexico. Um, it's all tax funded, and they basically said you're not allowed to call in to our call in show anymore because you make our guests uncomfortable. And that in and of itself is a very interesting question. Can the government take money uh, from you and start a radio program where they invite people to call in and then don't let you call in? So that in and of itself is interesting. And I think the answer to that should be no. And toward the case to go any farther that we would have uh, more information about that. However, yeah. Once these uh, these these fine folks defending our uh, right to make telephone calls heard that you had made a call to a different show. 
Now, you've been given some order by some judge uh, that said you're not allowed to call into that show because reasons. Um, and that's fine. But then you called into a different show on the same station put on by the you know same folks. But this one was uh, just a, 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 you know, a, a show of music, uh, I think Native American music. And you like it. Yeah. And you like hearing it. And shout out to the Native Americans in New Mexico. And, um, you know, no problem. You're requesting music. Well, then they say you can't do that, too. Well, you've violated the order. Well, you haven't because the order is pretty specific, but whatever. Right. And so that now they're bringing you up on charges on it, and you had a hearing on that. So tell me about uh, mm-hmm. that hearing. What uh, what transpired? Yeah, well, so, so far it's just been a bunch of boring meta stuff, nothing super exciting other than I, I have had a couple of victories in, in short – uh, what I've accomplished, you know, usually you go into court and they push you around. They say, okay, now you're, you're doing this, now you're doing this, and now you're doing this. And every yeah. time they say, well, now you're doing this, I say, well, uh, no, actually I'm not doing that, and here are my reasons. Would you like to argue with me, or do you just want to yield to what I said? And so far I'm batting a 1,000. Every single time they yield to what my demand is and why, not because I'm so good, but because I happen to have read and know what the law is presented it to them. They saw they had no ground to stand on and they had no choice but to yield to me or fight it out at the court above them. And so they've yielded on like three, four occasions and, and, but it's all still over, you know, mundane, boring stuff and haven't gotten to the exciting part yet. Um, uh, uh, but one one thing I'd like to interject on what you've already said is that this is a 14th Amendment argument because the, the, the government, the state of New Mexico, i.e. the taxpayers, own and pay for the University of New Mexico and everything we're talking about. And in my, in my argument, that is no different than the Motor Vehicle Department or any other state agency. And if you, and if you have, a, in this case, a, a, a radio show and you invite people to call in and, and you're the government, uh, it's like the MVD saying, uh, hey, come on in, we got driver's licenses. Wait, no, you, David Olson, we're not giving you a driver's license. Why? Well, because we don't like, we don't like you. So we're not giving you one. Go away. Um, and that's, that's what, and it's, it's uh, not uh, equal protection under the law. You see what I'm saying? Right. Um, I think that's, it's, if they're going to take tax money from people and they're going to run a radio show where they invite people to call in, then they've got to pretty much let everybody call in. And I think that you've got a really strong case there. But honestly, um, their order was very specific that you weren't allowed to call into a particular show and you didn't call into that show. So you didn't even violate the order. But I I, I say make the broad argument. Thank you for your uh, thank you for doing this for every American, David. Thank you for the call. Yeah, Yeah, we don't need double standards. Talk live. Come on, final segment. Wes, you have uh, you've been here on the U.S. Mariana Islands with me for going on a week now. Yes. Uh, what do you think about what you've seen so far? And uh, is is liberty alive here? It seems to be. Uh... Well, very tropical, of course. Yes. Probably one of the most tropical places that's uh, affiliated with America. It's nice to be free of snow. Yeah. <laughs> People might have heard of Guam, which is uh, mostly a military base. It's been yeah. used by American military. We actually went to the top of this peak, Tapachau, right? Yep. And you can see the entire island from up there. You have a vantage point um, to the north and the south, and there's a bunch of 
history of World War II. And uh, my stepdad's father, my grandfather, was actually here 75 years ago in the U.S. Navy when they had a really huge battle, really big battle. 44,000 Japanese died defending Saipan. 5,000 Americans died taking it. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a struggle to take over the island so that they could have a airstrip by which to launch bombing raids to on Japan. Yes. So we're in the thickets of military madness at this point. Um, and apparently, you know, the Japanese were unwilling to really surrender. They, they moved into the North part of the Island. There's a suicide cliff. A lot of them perished there. Yeah. Uh, but we also went to see some of the, the, you know, landmarks, historical sites and the memorabilia about it and paying homage to the ideas of respect and peace and freedom essentially like people being able to get along without killing each other that's kind of the goal yeah. and so saipan is um not so affiliated with the, the military but it does have a few ships off the shore here i guess there are supply ships for yeah. the military a little reminder of uh of, of the military there yeah for you, just they, sitting off the, the shore i guess besides being beautiful and i do love all the the, the word peace is written a lot on this island it is and i said love too just taking pictures of it every time i see it and putting it up on my facebook um, I think there's a culture here that's that's really kind and friendly from what I've seen. But I like the low taxes, and it's got really low taxes. Definitely um, has that. Yeah, and not really the influence of the IR, IRS, the Internal taxes Revenue Service. often send organizations into bankruptcy, but what we've seen in, with organizations is a change in the way a lot of them do business. You've been telling me about this sort of... Uh, hierarchy of ways that businesses do things from like red, which is you called tooth and claw on up to teal. Yes. Can you explain that to me? Yeah. So the, there's a theorist named uh, Frederick Leloux and he was kind of a business management strategist. Um, I forget where he was working for, but he's, uh, I believe Dutch was living in Belgium. Now he's living in a um, eco village of sorts. Okay. In Ithaca, New York, I think uh, that's more in line with his, his ideas, but he wrote a book called, um, reinventing organizations and it's subtitled a guide to creating organizations inspired by the next stage of human consciousness. So it's taking like a, a really comprehensive view of what humans have been doing with themselves and with each other, with these organizations throughout history. And he says one of the most exciting breakthroughs of the 21st century will not occur because of technology, but because of an expanding concept of what it means to be human. So this shift to an evolutionary teal model, which is kind of based on the color scheming of um, Ken Wilber's theories. Can you tell me the color schemes here real quick? Um, yeah. So it's red is, uh, you know, just, you know, fight and die to survive, fight and kill to survive, right? Yeah. Red is like symbolic of a wolf pack. That's the metaphor that he uses. And um, there's a constant exercise of power by chief to keep foot soldiers in line. It's highly reactive, short-term focus, thrives in chaotic environments. So you've got organized crime, you've got street gangs, you've got tribal militias. Okay. Then he moves to Amber, which is uh, highly formal roles within a hierarchical pyramid, top-down command and control. Future is repetition of the past. Right. So, so um, change is bad. One of the things that uh, – so you hear about draconian laws and you always think that's bad. But what was cool about Draco was uh, he, wrote him, he wrote the laws down. 
And so at the very least, you knew what the rules were. And this is entering into that amber stage. Now we have, well, now we've moved beyond it to the point that so many rules have been written down. No one knows what they are. And now we just kind of go by this code that we have and um, we fear to do things that we don't know about. Yeah, this is kind of like uh, stages in human organization as well as stages in consciousness development as well. So this symbolic metaphor of the amber would be army and current examples are the Catholic Church, the military, most government organizations, public school systems, police departments. And then we get into sort of the corporate world, which is kind of a phenomenon of government and politicians and lawyers. Right. So that's labeled orange. And that's the goal is to beat competition, to achieve profit and growth, you know, at all costs, basically maximize shareholder wealth, management by objectives, command and control over what and the freedom over how. So the guiding metaphor there is a machine. These organizations are machine like and you need to have people that, you know, control and, and work on those machines and optimize them and a CEO at the top to control everything. So and a middle management, we need middle management. Uh, yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, people have run into these organizational models and they're difficult to deal with. Not yeah. much fun. The current examples of multinational corporations, investment banks and charter schools. Um, but he also identifies the key breakthroughs in each one of these stages. And these stages can actually coexist. Yeah. You know, we know red organizations and amber and orange in, in our current world today. So the key breakthroughs for, for orange, which is a less of a coercive, overtly coercive model, like most corporations aren't going to force you to do business with them unless you've got like a legalized monopoly of right. providing some service because of government regulation, right? Right. The power company is pretty close to that. Exactly. So their innovations for Orange would be um, the idea of innovation itself and, and accountability and meritocracy. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a big conservative talking point. You don't want people, everybody gets first prize regardless. You, right. know, <laughs> you want to be able to reward people that have done work that's you know beneficial for the company and for customers, basically. Yeah. I like the idea of a meritocracy if they work. Um, you know, I mean, if if somebody is worthy of being um, rewarded or being on top or whatever, then sure, that sounds great. Yeah, the loose point is that uh, out of the confines of a hierarchy, that's how people naturally associate with each other. You know, persons have different skill sets and different abilities, and you reward those things or you honor and compensate people accordingly. Right, and uh, I mean, for instance, you, you and I saw a kid, and I'm not even sure what term we're supposed to use anymore. Um, I've I grew up with the term retarded. Right now, I think it's supposed to be developmentally disabled, but the kid had mentally pretty, challenged. Yeah, yes, pretty clearly had Down syndrome. Right, uh -huh. and he was playing with a cat on the side of the road and kind of chasing the cat, and um, you know the, this sort of thing. We just saw that uh, the other day in a joyful way too. It, he was know? he was having a good time, and you can have a great. You know, I'm, I have no particular problem with this. I just one of the things that we um, you know that I've sort of been struck by is is that if you listen to many of these folks um, say on the left, is is that that guy's just as qualified to you know to lead a fortune 500 company as anybody else what ma doesn't matter is equal opportunity but what matters is equal outcomes do we really want equal outcomes do you want that guy as your you know that kid as your airline pilot i don't no, and the marketplace would not actually favor that, but that's something symbolic right. of the culture of green, which is the next stage of con consciousness or organization where there's a focus on culture and empowerment to boost employee motivation. Stakeholders replace, replace shareholders as primary purpose, and the metaphor is the family. 
So you've got empowerment, you've got egalitarian management, mm -hmm. and that's the equality sort of like at the expense of merit. Some um, of these businesses um, that are out there, like, uh, you know, I don't know, Zop Zappos comes yes, to mind. He's got that listed as one of the examples. Uh, other businesses known for these idealistic practices, uh, Ben and Jerry's, uh, Southwest yeah. Airlines and Starbucks. Yeah. Some of these places look like they'd be really fun to work at. Yes. It, it seems like it's a party all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I would say Google in the Googleplex, the yeah. campus there and so forth. They're taking care of your kids with the uh, on-site day day watch thing, uh, nursery. Uh, the you know they got the workout area. You know they get every there's prizes and you know everybody's having a good time or at least pretending to. Definitely less of a stern sort of old school management environment, right? But there's still a lot of management going on. There's a hierarchy. There's the corporate board and all those kinds of things. And so it's a really a quantum leap to shift into teal just as it is into voluntarism teal without is government. the last uh, teal is the one that we're all aiming for basically as a, as a species in order to not swirl down the drain and go go down so right? what distinguishes teal from the rest self-management replaces hierarchical pyramids well as a person who's had to manage people that's what I want is, is that the problem with being a manager is, is that, you know, you've got employees that you've got to manage. That's the whole thing is the reason you have a job is because people are just bad at handling their own stuff. Yes. And in contrast to a machine or family, organizations are seen as living entities oriented toward realizing their potential. So there's like this idea of self-actualization. So it's seen as a living organism, sensing and responding on individual levels, right? Each person has the autonomy to make choices. What he says is you want to bring the free market principles and the processes into an organization. And that would get rid of the hierarchies, basically. So you've got self-management, wholeness, and evolutionary purpose as the main I like driving that. points. I, I hope that we can see more businesses uh, move into this uh, teal. Well, where can people find out more about you and your work? Okay, so actually he profiles businesses in his book, ReinventingOrganizations.com. HealthyMindFitBody.com is my website right now. HealthyMindFitBody.com. Yeah, and Complete Liberty, too. Wes Bertrand. Thank you. All right. It's another edition of the Edgington Post Show. This is Mark Edge coming to you from the U.S. Mariana Islands. Today, I've got with me Tom Young, the author of The Family Money Farm, The CFO Project. Tom, you there? Yes, I am. Now, How you doing today? Uh, all's well. Thank you very much. I am very curious because I know that you are uh, well-versed in the infinite banking method. And I want you to tell my audience about it because this is this is complicated. It, 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 it sounds complicated, but the biggest complication is people's pre-programmed learning uh, that they have received over the years. And, and the idea of using life insurance as a storage place or a capital warehouse uh, first, you have to determine the life insurance company. In other words, there are two kinds of life insurance companies. There's about 850 companies in America today that sell some form of life insurance. Out of that 850 or so companies, 99% plus are stock insurance companies owned by stockholders. So the company is operated for the profit making of the stockholders in operating that corporation. And they sell what they refer to as, as a competitive insurance product. Less than 1% of those companies are dividend paying mutual life insurance companies that are actually owned by the policyholders. Now, the insurance industry for years has always been as profitable and in the most part, even more profitable than banking uh, over history. In fact, the Federal Reserve tells their member banks that the safest place to store capital, basically their tier one money, is in whole life insurance policies. Now, get that. I mean, we, you and I as consumers are told never to buy this stuff, but yet 
banks and corporations in 2017, banks purchased more permanent life insurance than all the consumers in America. And when I say permanent life insurance, I'm talking about insurance with a dividend paying mutual life insurance company. In my mind, there's only about two dozen of those companies today that actually conform to what I would call a mutual insurance company, which has a fiduciary responsibility to the policyholders and the owners of that company. And, and knowing that, it, it is really very hard. And this is where the complexity comes in for it confuses people because we're all pre-programmed to think a certain way about life insurance. We hear that term life insurance and, and we go into these pre-programmed thinking. Sure. The first uh, thing you think of when it comes to life insurance is, is insurance in case you die and it takes care of your kids and your family and stuff like that. But there's much more to life insurance. And I'm sure your book uh, you know, goes into the types of policies and these sorts Absolutely. of things. Because it's not just so, buying any old policy and then suddenly you no, can do this no, infinite banking. Not. They have to be designed correctly. Otherwise, they really don't function as banking policies. And some companies, they discern people from borrowing from the insurance company. And, and you know, the first misnomer is people hear this banking concept and they say about borrowing money and they think that they're borrowing money out of their insurance policy and they are not. They are using the insurance policy as a collateral event to borrow money from the insurance company. Now, the insurance company has to invest money in order to manage their portfolio. So you borrowing money from the insurance company, you're no different than if they loaned money to the government or a corporation and were buying bonds. But your cash value is collateral for them. So it is guaranteed collateral for them. So the, the schematics of the loan are very simple. They're non-structured loans. So I really don't even have to make a payment. So I'm in control especially as a businessman with fluctuations of my cash flow, I can work around payments. If all of a sudden I have a, a low cash flow month, I don't make any payments this month and nobody calls me on the phone and say, why didn't you make the payments? But all the while I have this loan as collateral against my policy, my policy is collateral, my policy internally is still earning interest and dividends even though I have this event going on. So my money is actually doing two things now at the same time. The cash value in my mind is does two things. It's emergency money, but it is also opportunity money. And, and that is where people don't see the understanding because now it opens the door to what I refer to as external rate of return. Because I have access to that capital almost immediately without any big hoopla to make a loan, uh, if an opportunity comes along the way, I can get access to my money within a couple of days in cash. It doesn't generate a 1099. It doesn't involve the government. It doesn't involve income tax. It, it is not. It is the most private thing that I can do in raising and storing capital in this warehouse. Nelson always called it in his book. He calls it the capital warehouse in his last book that he wrote before he passed. So this is uh, Nelson Nash, the uh, creator of the infinite banking method, right? The infinite banking concept. But, okay. you know, I, I talked about this. I, I've been in the financial service business for 43 years. And, and my first stint with, with a major company is a debit door-to-door salesman. And when people would have cash value, I, I would talk to them about using the cash value and pay off their credit cards. I was doing that 40 years ago. Uh, and, and, but I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. And, and Nelson in the 90s 
and and that he figured it out when when the the big downturn in the 80s when he the interest rates skyrocketed to 21.5 percent on the prime and he had a lot of real estate holdings with with leverage and and his interest rate went to 23.5 percent that was when the he calls it the snakes and dragons really led him to stepping back and discovering this ability to build capital avoid the government completely that's why did the government attack life insurance in 86 why did they pass in the tax code a definition of life insurance to try to restrict mark how much money you could put into a policy because the government knew that when you put money in these policies and they're designed correctly the government never sees it again not while you're alive not when you die the death benefit is absolutely free of all taxes of any kind unless you get into estate taxes, but that's 22 million a person right now as far as estate taxes. Years ago, if you had a million dollar estate, you were into estate planning and avoiding that. So now a personally owned policy could be added into your estate, et cetera, but there were ways to plan around that at the same time. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread because it, it also leads, you know, if I were sitting and let's, let's say I'm a t- typical insurance salesman and I wanna sell you life insurance because I think you need it, so I have to convince you to buy it and convince you to pay the premium. I, I, it's been 20 years since I asked a client to spend money. I show them how they're losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily because they're doing what the typical financial world's telling them to do that pads their profits and the financial world. They want control of your money. They do not want you to have control. So what I, do you I, tell them to do? Um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm still not entirely clear how it all works. I, so you buy an insurance policy, right? And then yes. you put some uh, money towards it, and that increases the it, cash value of it. That's right. The policies are designed, a typical insurance policy, typical. You buy a whole life policy, and the first year it has zero cash value. In year two, it has a little bit of cash value, maybe. So those are old traditional type of policies. Today, when I design an insurance policy, we put on what is referred to as a paid-up addition rider, which is just a personal cash deposit. So if I put $10,000 in a premium, I could have six dollars to $8,000 of cash value immediately. So I have access to that money immediately. How much did you put in and how much do you have access to? If I put in ten thousand dollars in okay. a d- policy designed correctly, yep. it might have six or eight thousand dollars of cash value immediately. Where does my and two to four thousand dollars go? What's that going for? Well, th- there are three big things in insurance. There, there has to be early death claims. There, are, I had a client three years ago that had a policy, had five million dollar policy for three years, got killed on a motorcycle. Early death claims. Yep. Operation of the company and commissions that are paid to agents. Now, when I, when I have a $10,000 premium designed the way I'm talking about compared to the old traditional way, I, I have given up 60 to 70% of the typical commission I would make under the old way of doing insurance. So I've actually taken a lot less commissions yep. that allows you to have much higher cash values. And, and when I meet people, I have two questions that it leads me. I'll ask you, Mark, uh, are you 100% sure you're going to have a great retirement or do you have some doubt? Well, I think everybody I got some doubts. Some doubt. <laughs> okay. What if I could show you how to be totally debt-free in nine years or less, including your mortgage, without spending $1 more than you're currently spending? I like the sound of that. Conversation about yeah, that. that's a conversation worth having. That's what I do. So it's a structured process. It isn't just buying a policy and here I am banking. 
there is more education to it than that. And, and I have people that call me because they find me be on Nelson's website because I'm a certified practitioner, uh, certified by Nelson's organization. Before we go on, Tom, can you give people some contact information on how they can find out more? There, there are a couple of things. You can contact me, and, and there is a website that I have my new book. Here's a free download of the new book. You go to www.cfo-project.com. That is a new website. When you go there, you got to put in your CFO name. CFOproject.com. CFO-dash, okay? CFO-project.com, and, and it'll come up, and there it is, and it'll talk about getting out of debt, you okay. Okay. Email address uh, and for those who want to go check out that website, look us up at the archives. Look for Tom Young on the archives at archives.freetalklive.com. All right, and we're back with Tom Young from the Family Money Farm uh, at uh, it's CFO hyphen project dot com. Is that correct? That's correct. Excellent. That's correct. And uh, we were talking about putting together. A, a life insurance, uh, structuring a life insurance program where you can put money in and then be able to borrow against the value of the, the policy, paying the interest essentially to yourself. No, and no, let me, let me interrupt you. Okay. You, you do not, that's a misnomer because some people out there are telling people you pay the interest to yourself. Okay. When I make a loan from the insurance company, I pay that interest to the insurance company based on the loan. Okay. However, in a dividend-paying mutual insurance company, that becomes part of their profit motive, which creates more dividends while my policy is still earning interest and earning a dividend. So it's not paying it directly to myself. There are agents that tell people that, and that is not correct. Okay. So you're paying it to the owners of the company, but you are one of the owners. I'm, that's correct. Okay. It, 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 it goes into the profit of the company that turns into dividends and rate of return on my cash value. So what is the general rate on one of these loans? Uh, right now, they range anywhere from 4.75 uh, to as much as 8%. There's okay. companies that charge 8% on these loans. They tend to have higher dividends, but it washes. If I have a loan at 5%, the dividends generated in my policy might be less than a policy that I'm paying 8% to. Right. So, so it's a wash, whether you pay an 8% or 5%. So you get some of that uh, four to eight percent back through yes, the dividend. Absolutely. Do you have any absolutely. idea how much? Well, uh, let me give you an example. I have a policy that's thirty-four years old. Every dollar that I put in it, compared to the cash value today, I have earned an average of four point five percent internal rate of return since the beginning of the policy. Okay. So, what did it cost me for the insurance, Mark? I mean, the um, banks can't beat what I've earned in that policy, and I bought cars with that policy. Right. I did an addition on my office building by borrowing from that policy. So, so learning how to use the money is what the secret is. Businesses understand leverage. Wealth is created with leverage. Yeah, it's true. So this is about leveraging money while it's still growing at the same time. Right. So you get to grow your money and leverage your money sort of all at once. It's a fascinating uh, idea. And I'm halfway there in so much as I got the policy, but I just haven't needed a loan since then. <laughs> and um, you don't make loans if, you know, when the opportunity presents here, you know, if, if your neighbor comes over and says, look, Mark, my wife is dying and, and I spent all my money and I need help. My house is free and clear. I'll sell it to you today for 50 cents on a dollar, but I need the money right now. How many people could do that? 
Not a ma- not very many. Most of America at this point, uh, about forty percent of America can put its hands on a thousand dollars, which is really yeah. really sad. Yes, it, it is. You know, and that's part of the whole process that I teach people. You know, the principles number one is you got to be saving twenty percent of your gross annual income a year. And and people look at me when I say that, and I, and they say, "Well, I couldn't do that." I says, "Well, add up your car payments, your credit card payments, and your mortgage payment, and and on average." the average family spends 34 cents on a dollar on interest in debt in yep. America today. Yeah. So you're giving away all your savings. It's just about getting, just, that's where the CFO of the book comes into play. The CFO project, learning how to manage your money properly and understanding cash flow. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. This is something that Americans a hundred percent need to figure out because it empowers you to take care of your family in a way that uh, we really haven't seen up to this point. And it is really new financial technology. Like you said, it was created in the nineties and uh, that makes it, you know, that makes it pretty new on the, uh, the, the grand scheme of things. Well, all the mutual insurance companies are all over a hundred years old. So, so this, this has been around a long time. And, and well-off people, wealthy people, banks and corporations have been using life insurance for years and years and years to store capital in. You know, they buy key man insurance policies. Okay, I'm insur- I have a key man policy on a gal that worked for me three years ago, but my corporation owns that policy and the cash value in it. So if she dies, while I still have the policy, I'm going to get the death benefit. But while I've got that policy, it's designed as a banking policy. And I have access to that capital and I use it in the company and I borrow and pay it back, but I never deal with the banks. I, I do not want the banks to know what my life right now, the banks look at me. And as far as the government and the banks, I'm broke. I have no IRA, no 401k. All I have is 12 insurance policies that I have purchased one at a time over the last 43 years. And that's what brings me to the family money farm. You know, when I said earlier, when people die, they say, you can't take it with you. Looking at the government and the debt they're creating, somewhere in the future, there's going to be a big swan of black swan event in the world, and it's going to cause the interest rates to skyrocket. And the government is going to be forced to take all the 401ks and pensions in America to fund the debt because they cannot afford the interest rate to go up. The, the last 10 years in 2008, the interest or the, the debt in America was about $8 trillion. The 10 year treasury was 6% at that time. 6% interest on $8 trillion is about $480 billion of interest in a year. Well, here we are today. The Treasury is now down under 2%, but we got $23 trillion of debt. So $23 trillion times 2% is $460 billion. It's not about the interest rates. They're lying to us because it's about managing the volume of interest. And that's what Nelson always said. It's about the volume of interest you pay, not the interest rate. Even if you buy a car and finance it for five years, you're going to end up spending 25% of the value of that car and interest on the car. Yep. Oh, it's only 4% a year or 5% a year, but the volume of interest you're going to pay is going to be 25 or 30% of the value of that car is going to be the interest you're going to pay to buy that car. So here we have a situation with the debt and the unfunded liability where the government, how are they going to allow interest rates to rise, Mark? I mean, half of the trillion dollar deficit last year that they funded and borrowed, half of it was interest on the debt. Right. And then, you know, the Fed's talking about raising interest rates, but it doesn't do it. (laughs) 
Well, well, here's here's another misnomer because in in the past years, when the economy was doing really well, the Fed's always raised the interest rate to slow it down to avoid inflation. Well, here we have the hottest economy in 50 years in America, the lowest job rate and everything. And what do they do? They're lower in the interest rate. Right. I, I mean, there's something wrong with the message here. It's all about, now. It's different than it ever was in the past. It really is. I mean, things have things are different on the map, and I, you know, it, it looks like there's there's aspects of the financial situation that look like the lead up to 2005 through 2008 with the first the housing crisis then the uh, great recession and and all those things i'm not saying that that's what's going to happen because i don't know but i am saying that well they keep on remember when greenspan said oh there's no there's no problem with interest rates everything's fine but it was interest rates that caused uh, low interest rates that caused the housing crisis, and the housing crisis precipitated the the Great Recession. Well, the low interest rate allowed people to borrow that shouldn't have been borrowing. Yep. Not, you know, yep. corporations get misled when the interest rates are artificially made low. They make growing decisions that are unfounded, and then all of a sudden you have the boom and bust cycle where, where they're doing one thing, they lose control of it. it. It all goes back to a story, a quick story that I tell about two, 1968. 1968, a group was formed in the world called the Club of Rome. Have you ever heard of them? No. Club of Rome. They're a think tank, and one of the participants was like Stephen Hawkins, the guy from Europe who was supposed to be the smartest guy in the world. Uh-huh. These people formed this think tank in 68, and their, their mission was to look at all the resources of the world and make a prediction on what was going to happen in the future. Well, they made a prediction. Their first prediction was the world was going to be out of crude oil by 1993. That was their first prediction. That was 68. Yeah, that didn't happen. In 1969, what happened? The Arabs, at that time, it was believed they had 85% of the oil under the sands in Saudi Arabia. So a a world oil broker named Perez in South America knew some guys in Texas that operate the Texas Railroad Commission. Google it. It's out there. Well, the Texas Railroad Commission in the U.S., what do they do? They monitor all of the production of resources in America, the crude oil and everything going on in America. Well, this guy went to the Arabs and said, look, you guys got 85% of the oil under your sands. Imagine what you could do if you could control the price of oil. So OPEC was formed in 1969. Oil was $1.23 a barrel in 1969. Three years later in 1972, it was $12 a barrel. It's a big increase. $25 a barrel, it was expected that they could take all the money out of Fort Knox. Now, think about that. Our money said payable to the bear, gold and silver. Nixon was forced to take us off the gold standard, which opened what I call Pandora's box. Now, this story is in great detail in my book. Right. Talking about all this, you know, the dominoes. And now we come off the world, the the gold standard in 72, which opened Pandora's box for fractional banking, which here we are today. And um, when Nixon did take us off the the gold standard, that really... Uh, it just it just set prices running, and this is the reason we had that uh, the crisis in I think it was seventy three or seventy four uh, as far as the the price of fuel. I remember cars that I was a very young lad at like three or four, but <laughs> I remember cars lined up for gas pumps, and you were able to go every other day depending on your license plate, the last letter of your license plate, or however it worked. 
I'm yep, not entirely yep. sure. The, the 11 o'clock news at night was, you know, it was the gas lines at the gas station. And all of a sudden, somebody cut in line. And now there was a fight. They, you know, it, it was amazing what was going on. And it was really all a fraud because there was never any shortage of oil. It was all to control the price. Right. And they said that when oil hit $25 a barrel, they could they could take all of the gold out of Fort Knox. There was a movie. And, and it was back about that time. The name of the movie was called Rollover. Christofferson and Jane Fonda was in it. And it was all about Christofferson was a world oil broker. And there was this humongous $100 million CD the Arabs had. And if they called that CD, it would collapse the American economy. So that was what the movie was. The movie was made about all this stuff. You, you just Nobody wants to talk about this. It's the way I see things. And I can go from 72 all the way to today, and every time the government sticks their nose in it, they cause big, huge problems. Right. And every time they do stick their nose in it, we need to come up with new methods to sort of get around the things they messed up. And one thing's for sure, uh, you know, all empires fall. And the reason that they fall is because cash flow doesn't equal spending, ultimately. That's what comes down. The United States was uh, $5 trillion in debt when George Bush came in, $10 trillion in debt when Obama came in, $20 trillion in debt when Trump came in. So what we're seeing is is basically a doubling every eight years of the the debt. And that rate of return, Mark, that's what, about seven, eight percent rate of return a year? I yeah, that's what that would be. Yeah, sure. And most of it comes from it's it's war spending uh, throughout the 20th and 21st centuries. But, you know, regardless of what it is, it's out there and they're claiming that we, uh, the American people, are going to have to pay it. Now, I don't think that's true. I think ultimately it's going to end up as a bankruptcy situation. But what happens to the United States government, the United States standing when, you know, the world's largest economy, the most successful economy in world history in many cases, um, collapses and, uh, you know, can't pay its bills because it overspent, because it does the same. It did the same thing that every empire's done up to this point. You know, is it going to get rapacious and attempt to extract money for more and more and more and more money from its citizens? Perhaps. Is it going to go out into the world and attempt to get resources from other countries using its prodigious military? Perhaps. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but it isn't going to be pretty. And my listeners need to prepare themselves for a world where this kind of thing occurs. Well, you know, the only answer to that, and that's why I'm so passionate about what I teach people, because life insurance, what we're talking about is the only product that for 250 years in America, not one person ever lost a dollar of cash value. And that's why the Federal Reserve, I have I have emails and, and off the internet where the Federal Reserve indicates to their member banks that cash value life insurance is the least risk of failure or collapse. So that's where you put your tier one money. We have a local bank, Huntington Bank, which is like 11 states, they have 40% of their tier one money, which is $3.292 billion. They have 40% of that in cash value life insurance. I have a whole list of companies that show exactly, and the average is 20 to 30% of all of these big banks have all that money in cash value life insurance. 
Right. And these life insurance companies, many of them have been around for more than 100 years. So more than 100 years. Right. Absolutely. Um, the one that I use, uh, and this is not an endorsement because I don't know anything about the rest of these. Uh, Tom Young, you are far more of an expert than I am. There's not an endorsement, but I'm just going to say New York Life has been around for a very long time. And it's a very yeah, they're a good mutual company. Absolutely. Yeah. Very staid and steady company. And if you think about these countries where, um, you know, they've lost wars, for instance, look at Japan and look at, uh, uh, Germany and, and these sorts of places. And you'll see many of the companies rode through it. You know, the, the country might have been destroyed. Many of people might have been terrible things happened, but the big companies managed to make it. Siemens is still around. And, um, I'm not entirely sure about, uh, which I, I think whatever, I think Mitsubishi made the, uh, be the zero, but I might not be, I might, might be wrong on that. So, um, you know, the companies stay whether or not the government has problems. Well, well, the big banks in my research for the book, what I found is, is it leads all the way to the Rothschilds. And, and I know you've heard that name. Uh, yep. And they go back in banking to the 1700s, early 1800s. And, and today it, it, is a, it is a conspiracy of how rich they are today. Uh, but there, you know, there's one theory that says they could be worth $50 trillion or more. I believe they have their hands in ownership in every central banking system in the world. I, is, that is, that is where that comes from. They created the central banking system. So, yes, uh, absolutely. um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's like the book, the magic of, uh, the creature of Jekyll Island, the, the story of the federal reserve in America, I call it the forming of the banking cartel. And, and if you, you look at all of that and the stuff going on, it isn't going to change. There's there's a a little video on the internet I would I would send people to. It's called the banker. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. You, you Google I think it. So. The banker. It's a YouTube video. It's called the banker. Okay. And it's a guy sitting in a chair with dark hair and he's got glasses on. You'll know it when you see him. There's a bunch of things in there called the banker, but it's not this. And it's a banker talking about banking and how they have funded both sides of all wars, and 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 they're goal is to get rid of all the low-end people in the world that would save everything, just, you know, exterminate the lower earning, the, the lower echelon of people. You, you got to go listen to this thing. It's been out there a long, long time, but it's called The Banker. It's cfo-project.com. Tom Young, what would you tell listeners who are interested right now in taking control of their financial future? I would start, it all starts with education, Mark. I'm, I'm really all about education. Uh, you know, I help people implement if they want help to do that, but everything on that site and it's www. If you just put CFO and you won't get there, www.cfo-project.com. And, and all that is, is educational material. The download of the free book that I put that out there because it's got everything in it from front to back. The story that I shared earlier about OPEC and, and all those guys, that's all in there. All the facts are in there and, and stories. There's four stories of clients in there. It's really about education. If you want to contact me, you can reach me. My company name is First Consultant. That's with a 1ST, 1STConsultantsInc.com. Uh, there's another website there. Uh, there's videos on there about me, and it's just really about real education that is verifiable, mathematically provable, Mark. Everything I've said here is not Tom's opinion. It is all provable information. It's true. I've looked into this before, and uh, infinite banking is a real concept. By the way, um, it was introduced to me 
by Robert P. Murphy, the Austrian economist. Oh, Bob, yeah. Robert, I know Murphy. I know Bob. Yes. And, and, and I cannot, uh, you know, I can't think of anybody that I would consider to be a higher endorsement for anything. Um, and so, you know, uh, there you go. It's www.cfo-project.com. Go ahead. You, yes. Uh, he's a he's a fellow at the Mises Institute. So, That's correct. He is. You know, it's really all about Austrian economics and the truth about what's going on. And and the more the government sticks its nose in, the more ups and downs and boom and busts we're going to have. And and that's why you have to have access to capital. It's just the only safe place to put capital is what I'm what I'm talking about. But the policy's got to be designed properly, and 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 they have to be a certified practitioner through Nelson's organization because I actually sign a document that I agree that I will only do policies in the correct way that Nelson shared them with me and taught me. And, and, and again, I've been at this for 43 years. So I've seen all sides of all the coins. Tom, one last question. We had talked about how only 40% of America can put their hands. I think it's 41% of Americans can put their hands on a thousand dollars. What, uh, which means that 59% of Americans can't. How much money does somebody need to get started on this infinite banking uh, situation? I, you know, I, I would say in the range of income of, of, I'd say on the very low end would be, might be 75000 a year. Is that household uh, if, or individual? Household, household okay. income. It, it, you know, if they're struggling with debt, I, I can help them get out of debt. What I said, nine years or less, including your mortgage, without spending any more money than you're spending now. It's really all about understanding cash flow and how to do things macroeconomically. There's a big word for you, macroeconomic. And that's looking at all the things you're doing and the ripple effect to every financial decision you make. You know, a, a very quick example, if you got 10 grand in a CD and you're making 2% interest and you'll come to me and say, well, gee, can you get me more interest? Well, everybody, there's two ways. You can focus on chasing a higher interest rate or you can look at how can I lower the cost of creating wealth? And, and I'll tell you the answer, it's lowering the cost of creating wealth. Because if I have 10,000 in a CD, I can go to my auto and homeowner's insurance and increase the deductibles and save maybe as much as $400 a year in premiums. So 400 plus the 200 I made, so now I've increased my macroeconomic rate of return to 6% on my $10,000 CD. Because I have it, the more capital I have access to, the more decisions I can make to recapture expenses and money that I really don't need to spend. Tom Young, www.cfo-project.com. Thank you. I've been told no in many different ways. I give you an order and you're going to obey it. Which order you can go this way? You can do that and you have to leave here. You cannot bring Simon to the rally. Walk with me. Well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm comfortable here, actually. have a funny way of telling people no. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Derek J's Victimless Crime Spree. You can order your copy of the Director's Cut DVD now at victimlesscrimespree.com.